Welcome to another episode of the Survival Podcast. It is a Tuesday, and it is also an episode of the Bitcoin Breakout. And so we have the Survival Podcast, episode 3297, Bitcoin Breakout, episode number 40. And I've got a guest returning for his third appearance on Bitcoin Breakout, the guy Swan, the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than any other person you know, host of the Bitcoin Audible podcast and into all things really cool and decentralized. Today we're not really talking directly about Bitcoin or even Lightning, though that is part of the discussion. No, we're talking about Noster and Noster's future. I think there's only a, a small minority of the people that are even using Noster right now that truly see the vision of what it is to become. Rather than being a platform, it is a protocol, which means it is unstoppable and uncensorable using relays, which sort of kind of in a way function like nodes on a blockchain, but not the same. But you can think of it that way. It's a good analogy. But it is a network of people connected to each other that can communicate in a way where they cannot be censored with an integrated payments option. That means that you can instantly join, uh, use Noster, uh, use a client, and immediately begin connecting with people, communicating people, and exchanging value with people. It might be the kind of network you want to be part of. It's up to about a half a million users, from my understanding, right now. And uh, a lot of them happen to be kind of upwardly mobile, fluent people, the kind of people you want might want to be involved in a network for a parallel economy with. We're going to talk about how Noster, uh, using clients versus what we think of as apps, may be the thing that literally eats everything on your iPhone. You know, over a year ago, I had Guy on along with Brian Harrington from Choice, and we were talking about the future of Layer 2 and Layer 3 apps. And I said, I believe if you look at your phone right now and you see an app on your phone, and there's a potential to monetize the network effect of that app, it will either be monetized in five years or it won't be there anymore. Just a little bit after that comes Nostra, at least came on my radar. Nostra actually existed when I said this, but I didn't know anything about it yet. I've only been on Nostra myself for a couple months. I've started the Grow Nostra initiative. It is taking off like crazy. It's literally exploding. People connecting and talking about things other than Bitcoin, which is really important. You know, Bitcoiners have lives beyond Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a means by which we store our wealth. But then what do you do with your wealth? A lot of us are into alternative energy. We're into gardening. We're into eating better, exercise, all types of great things, art, etc. So we have people discussing all of this. And I thought it would be great to bring on a guy I know who is a co-visionary with this stuff. Guy Swan. So I'll have him on in just a moment. We'll be dropping into a live feed with Guy. This was so important. I actually booked Guy while I was on vacation. I don't do any work on vacation other than cleaning out my email box. And I did this because I really wanted to have this discussion about uncensorable, unstoppable value for value information exchange with the Noster Protocol. Before we get into that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Ridge Wallet. Yeah, I know you got a Bitcoin wallet, but you probably still have a more conventional wallet, something you carry, your ID and your credit card, etc. All this stuff today now has RFID tags in it that can be cloned, and the equipment to do it is very inexpensive. Ridge Wallet will protect you. It also has a lot of other really great EDC gear, for the uninitiated, that's everyday carry gear. It is just an awesome company. They've been with us since five years ago, way back when they had just run their first initial Kickstarter when they were an unknown brand. Today, they're a national brand. 
They are still with us as a sponsor. Check them out today at Ridge.com. Next up today, ButcherBox. I just talked about eating better. The best thing you can put in your body is protein and fat. I know that that's not what the people tell you on the other side of the system. But they're the same people that tell you you shouldn't be using Bitcoin either, that you should stick to the legacy fiat payment networks. They're the same ones that told you the clot shot was good for you. They're the same people that locked down society. Are you really going to take their nutrition advice? No, take the advice of a redneck hippie duck farmer that's completely restructured my body by eating protein and fat. My favorite cut of meat on the planet is the ribeye. I get ribeyes, New York strips, all grass-fed beef from ButcherBox sent to my front door every single month. They are the only sponsor. It just worked out where they could do this, by the way, but they were the only sponsor I've never taken a dollar from. Not a fiat buck, not even a Bitcoin Satoshi. No, Ridge, I'm sorry, ButcherBox pays me in meat. They give me a, an equivalent uh, allowance that I would charge them to be a sponsor in meat every month. That box comes. Uh, pastured poultry, pastured pork, some amazing seafood as well. I'm always adding add-ons and stuff like that. Check them out today at ButcherBox.com. But use the banner on my site. Even if you're not a member of my program, you'll still get a discount one time. But if you want, how about 10 bucks off a month forever? $120 a year, become an MSB member, you'll be able to get that as well. With that, let's go ahead and slide onto the live feed and bring Guy on with us. So did you have uh, We're live. prep questions? We're live. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we are live. Uh, yeah, I got, some, I got some bullet points, Guy. We'll be just kind of, obviously, we're not scripted today, folks. This is the Guy Swan joining you today. Live and uh, on a hot mic without realizing it. And for some of you guys, welcome back. You were just part of a live stream that I did with Nicole and John for about an hour and a half. And now we've got Guy on to talk about, of all things, Noster. Guy, why don't you introduce yourself to folks? Tell people who you are if they haven't heard of you, if they've been living under a rock or something like that. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, dude, thank, thanks for having me on. It's, it's, it's been a little bit. Hey, you've been doing all right? Yeah, man. We didn't really get to catch up much. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I am uh, I'm Guy Swan. I'm the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Host of Bitcoin Audible and uh, Shitcoin Insider, uh, and also a uh, soon to be a third podcast. Actually, ah, um, yeah. There's with everything happening with AI and these the language models and everything. I have been kind of deep down this rabbit hole, mostly because I'm trying to do a film project which will require lots of stable diffusioning <laughs> to, uh, to, to get what I want out of it. So I have been just kind of steamrolling down that rabbit hole in the process on my Mac, on the process of uh, putting a custom computer together for it. But uh, because of that, um, I've, I've increasingly been aware of the dangers of having all of our centralized platforms of being still on these Twitter, like not moving over to Noster, not having like decentralized communication when we have AI tools that can so much better direct and manipulate and control our attention. Like I think the biggest threat to our future from the context of these, these AI tools is, is being stuck in centralized platforms. So, and I think there's not very much voice out there for the open source, run it yourself model, like like stop doing it in a sovereign way. Yeah. So I'm actually starting a podcast probably this week on that topic. 
um, just because I think it's I think it's really important, and I think it's on the realm of what's going on with Noster, what's going on with Bitcoin and Lightning. I, I think I think it's a very uh, relevant and important topic right now. Um, well, so you know, I don't have to worry about AI because the 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 Biden administration is taking the lead in, in, oh, in overwatch with AI, and they're so serious about it. They appointed Kamala Harris, and you only appoint her to something that you're serious about guy as the AI czar. And I just like, when I saw that, I just had visions of Terminator. I almost had an aneurysm. <laughs> like I just, I can't imagine anyone who knows less <laughs> about like, anything. Just could not have the slightest fucking clue what they are talking about or what. I mean, it's, it is the, it is the peak fiat theater to put her as an AI czar or the idea of having an AI czar to begin with as if that shit's going to do anything. Yeah. Just unbelievable. Oh yeah. So we're in good hands. We're in great hands. Yeah. I said the other day, like I, it's a, it's a poor move. No matter what your agenda is, government either takes something seriously and poorly addresses it. Right. But, but they try or they don't take it seriously, but they do the thing to make you think they take it seriously. This does neither one. Like no rational person, even a leftist, would look at this and go that 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 shows serious. Like the woman can't do anything right. She can't speak right. And my wife pointed out that people write speeches for her, and I'm like, yeah, but she's not smart enough to read the speech and realize she sounds like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. That's not what we're here to talk about. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and aside, yeah. so all that's happening, and. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so there there will be likely a podcast about that one pretty soon too. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've had a lot of interest. Here. I've had a lot of interest. I think, I mean, honestly, I mean, Bitcoin Audible is doing great, you know, and I love Bitcoin Audible. And honestly, it would mostly be a funnel back into Bitcoin because Bitcoin is still close closer to yeah. my heart, so to speak. Yeah. But honestly, the podcast probably has the potential of being more popular than Bitcoin Audible. That's um, a broad. In short. It's a much broader topic, and it's also, I think, a niche in that space that I think could do really well. Um, so, uh, so hopefully, it'll funnel a lot of people back to Bitcoin Audible because I would still, whether or not it was a bigger audience or not, I'd still probably drop that and do Bitcoin Audible will still be my priority. So. We, we have a reverse funnel here. I've got Bitcoin Breakout to bring Bitcoin people into prepping and home alternative <laughs> energy. Yeah, yeah. You got AI to bring people into Bitcoin. I love it. Like yeah. that's, that's the network effect. And that's a big part of what I want to talk about today is what kind of some of the things I see going on with Noster. Uh, can we start off with, cause I've, I've talked to my audience a lot about this, but I find sometimes hearing it from another person makes it like a light bulb moment. You, can you explain in the way you explain it what Noster is versus typical social media? Because it's really not the same thing at all. No. Um, so in regards to our relationship with it, uh, the analogy I like to use is podcasting, actually, because okay. everybody's listening to this knows how podcasts work, um, or at least they know how to navigate it, is you have a feed, but it's the same feeds in every client. Right. You go to Am- you go to Apple Podcasts, you go to Google Play, you go to Overcast, you go to Cashbox. It doesn't matter where you go. It's the same podcast. Yeah. You just have a lot of different providers who are feeding it to you, who are feeding you that information. Um, that is not the relationship we have with social media. Social media has walled gardens. Social media is centralized. So, like if I go follow somebody on 
and then log into Twitter, my Twitter account is totally different and I can't see what they post on Facebook. But the podcasts are the same if I'm in a different client because podcasting is a protocol. Social media is a centralized platform. Noster just turns uh, the social feed into a protocol. It turns it into a feed much like a podcasting RSS feed. And rather than connecting to Twitter uh, and only being able to get everything through Twitter and it's siloed and you can't even download your information off of it, the information is just freely available. It's, it's separate. Um, and you just have however many relays, maybe you pay them or they do it for free. A lot of them do. They host your information for you. So they, they feed it to other users. But it would be like, rather than connecting only to Twitter, you connect to Twitter, to Facebook, to Instagram, to Snapchat, to all of them at once Mm -hmm. so that you can friend them all. And as long as the other people are connected to those same relays, you can communicate to them. Like the, the information just streams from user to user. It just goes through an entire subset, like a huge pool of relays. Um, rather than some single centralized server. And you can easily just run your own and just download your entire, everything you've ever posted um, and carry it with you and take it to whatever relay you want. You can, so you can have like private relays. You can have your own little corner where people don't know about it. You can have community specific groups of relays, or you can just get as big a global feed as possible and connect to, you know, the 30 most popular relays or whatnot. And, you know, talk to the whole world, so to speak. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really cool. And I, I think that people need to understand that it's not just for Twitter clones. Yeah. Like that's the number one thing being done with it right now, because it was something we could do. People knew how to use it. They were familiar with it, but I'm going to bring something up on the screen right now that we don't even, we have it on our site. We don't even know how it works yet. <laughs> um, but we, Tom, my web dude, added this to our uh, website today, and I need to play with it after we're done. I think he might have made the change. Tom's here. I, I don't know if he did make the change yet. We had it on public, which basically just brought in my f- feed or anybody who used its feed. But I think that we switched it to private now. What it will actually enable is basically a chat experience for my community on my website. For anybody that's using Noster that simply clicks on that, and we have to play with it because we're going to integrate it so it looks like when I saw it, I thought my site had been hacked. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> he sent me an email, but I didn't check my email yet this morning. And like, I'm like, oh, I, I see how it works. So uh, he moved it back. So that didn't work. So we're going to play with that. And I think that's another thing. Like a lot of stuff on Noster is in, I, I don't even call it beta. I call it like pre-alpha. Like this is yeah. the whole thing's only a year old. And it's straight up hacked together and yeah. it works which is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like about it, I, I keep kind of pitching it this way. So you have this network of smart, intelligent people who have migrated off legacy social media to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Many of them are very affluent. And this network has an integrated payments network. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'd want to be part of that in the world we're heading into. Maybe that yeah. would be a network you'd want to tie into and uh, I think it's it, like we keep hearing about these parallel economies. I know you hear that term all the time. But to me, like when I saw this, I'm like, so this is how we actually do that. Because, yeah. like, you know, there's there's platforms that pledge free speech like Gab and whatnot. But as long as one person can make a decision, everything you build will always be at risk. 
right? Yeah. Like everything you build and like the, I don't know, there's no Noster company or anything. That's good. But if you came to me as a brand, this is the, the catchphrase that I've developed for Noster. One key pair in your tribe is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's really what it's about. Once you have that key pair, anybody that builds anything, you can just plug into it and you're still connected to everybody. Like that chat feature that we're still playing with. But like, I don't know if you saw Blogstack yet, but it's like kind of like a Substack yep. clone. But you, yep. you go there and you're using all of you to manage your keys. You click a button and boom, you're set it's up. Just like a uh, note five or, or a nip. uh Note, note event event type five or something like that. Yeah. It's just a long yeah. form. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the, that's the beauty of it is that you can specialize how it looks. So you can, you can like, rather than being stuck on Twitter and having only Twitter text, you know, or being stuck on Instagram and only having like stories or images or video, you know, specifically, it's all like media specific. You can literally just have a client that just makes it all look like Instagram and filters out the text or a client that makes it just looks at the text. So it just looks like Twitter, you know, like, like you can specialize your thing and that's why you can have Substack or uh, blog stack, yeah. essentially a medium and Substack replacement, except that you don't have a centralized payment that's taken cuts of yeah. what you're doing. And it's tied into a broader social network. Um, so it will, sorry, I kind of interrupted there, but no, yeah, that's like a beautiful element of it is that it's fully customizable. And I mean, I look at it and see it as unstoppable because you mentioned these relays. They're not the same as a Bitcoin node, but it's an interesting analogy that helps people that are familiar with the concept to think of Mm -hmm. as long as there's active relays, you're not shutting it down. You're not controlling it. And anybody can run a relay. Mm -hmm. I'm connected to like, I think I have like eight relays I'm hooked up with on most of the clients that I use. And I am actually surprised at how well it works because when I, I brought somebody on to talk about it before I learned about it so I could play dumb without having to pretend. Mm-hmm. And he warned me like a lot of stuff doesn't work yet and all. And so my expectations were pretty low and I have found it to be incredibly easy and most things work really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, probably the, uh, I, I would say probably from time to time it gets sluggish or it takes a little bit to like update likes mm-hmm. or whatever when I'm yeah. like refreshing or something. But I think it's probably just because a lot of the relays are bogged down and it's heavy, it's resource heavy. And I think there's no strong monetization model yet. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the one major limiting factor uh, right now in the infrastructure side of it, in the relay side of it. Cause I'm connected to like, let's see, I can, I can see real quick. Um, I'm connected to like 32. Okay relays or something like that um and you know there's always like seven or so that are disconnected or you know not responding yeah. quite right you know yeah. um but the the great thing is how well it propagates when you cast a big net you know um and uh some clients work better than others whether it's because of the relay or just because of the responsiveness or how it stores data like it just really is it's amazing and, and i think the that freedom to experiment is what has made it so awesome and move so fast because there are literally so many people building for it and it's so easy to iterate um and you don't have to be totally compatible to just have something a new way to you know organize or handle the data more efficiently um you can have a significant improvement that's got nothing to do with the protocol it's just on the client side um 
And it, it's as if Twitter has like the most open API possible and anybody can just host information for it. Like imagine how, how fast Twitter would iterate and we get all these features that everybody just is like constantly like, how does social media not have this yet? And you know, like lightning is such a great example is I went over to Noster and it was like three weeks. It was three weeks. They had like a amazing lightning integration that was mm-hmm. orders of magnitude better than Twitter's, which was like a year old or a year and a half old at that point. Yeah. Um, and it's just like a huge nothing burger because it's like not integrated. And it's really because it's a regulatory concern. It's because yeah. it's such a nightmare to get permission and do all the, the obnoxious compliance and paperwork and KYC and all this shit. Yeah. And when you're just peer to peer lightning, you're just punching the lightning URL. You don't have to do any of that shit. You just cut a little block of information. That's it. You know, this is why platforms can never do this because it's, it's why yeah. I'll defend Musk here for not immediately integrating lightning. The minute Twitter does that as a major corporation, they're responsible for the transactions and they have approval and disapproval, which is why Ron Albright is in prison. If they didn't exercise any control, he probably wouldn't be in prison. Right. So they said, well, you shut these down and you let these go through. So then you got all these new regs where they're like, if it's over six hundred dollars, you have to do a 1099K and all that. And that's all conflated but if you build a client it's just a client it doesn't actually so you don't take your piece and like you said there is a monetization issue there i see you probably more and better paid relays being rolled out and more of like Mm -hmm. a a subscription model to them like a monthly payment or annual payment or something and it probably won't be a lot it doesn't need to be but people do things consistently across time for compensation yeah. Right. You know, you know, you might hack together something, give it to the world, but you're not going to work every day to maintain something for free because we nobody can afford to do that. So yeah. I think more of that will come. But one thing I like about the client model, you mentioned sometimes something's hung up or it doesn't connect. I found like, well, maybe Snort is being bitchy today. Yeah. When I jump on yeah, Iris, yeah. it works. <clears throat> so if one of the clients has an issue, you just jump on a different client. It doesn't really affect anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't well, affect the overall experience. Up and then you jump yeah. onto a browser and jump onto Iris and it works better or something yeah. like that. And like I just of, brought up Snort and Snort's working better than Iris today. Yeah, for me today, right? Yeah. But tomorrow, <laughs> like, who's 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 rolling out new code, right? Who's pushing out new code, yeah. right? And they maybe you get in the middle of that and they didn't debug it well enough, so you just swap and you still connect everybody. One of my favorites right now is actually Primal except they're missing some stuff. I'll bring that up on the screen real quick. I don't know if you've looked at this. Primal looks solid, but I can't log in. I don't oh. think yet. Huh. From wait, let me let me double check. Like I've I've been trying to keep keep an eye on it on Primal and then Plebster. Yeah. Um if I am you, logged in. Can I post? Probably. Hello from Primal. You're trending. You're right there. I I am. I'm not seeing it. Or maybe it doesn't show it to on me. my screen. On my screen. I was about to say it probably doesn't. When I'm sharing, because I'm actually logged in, I probably. I'm there. Um, case between us and you're there. We're, oh yeah, we're on the same you. screen with Dorsey. Oh yeah. What's so up, let's see. Dorsey? He's old news. All yeah, the guys he is. Long. <laughs> uh, the last thing he's had you posted is this. <laughs> so maybe it didn't work. Not everything works all the time. Uh, Albies says it's connected to. Okay. I don't know. I've not really used this one to yeah. a great degree, so I, I might be missing a step here. Maybe I doubt um, it. It just might not be. A lot um, of people told me they had trouble hooking up. I just went there. The Albie thing popped up. I turned it on, and it, it worked. 
But what I really like is the explore feature, which is mm -hmm. what I've got up on the screen for those that are on the video right now, where, so if you're looking here, like, so here's my followers. Well, I have different ways to sort their latest, yeah. popular, zapped, trending, but I can also look at my tribe. So this yeah. is everybody <clears throat> I follow and everybody that follows me. And then my network, which is accounts I follow and everybody they follow. And once you pull something like that up, like let's say the latest from there, and that'll take a while to load because that's a lot of people it's searching through. But I can add mm -hmm. that feed to my homepage, which means when I'm at the front of uh, Primal, I can select any one of these views I've created for myself. But I think Primal is like pre-alpha in of its own world within the Nostr system, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not fully rolled out yet. You can't do images or DMs on it yet. But when I look at it from a, a exploration or content discovery, it's freaking awesome. So, like, yeah. and that's kind of what I want to drive home to people that like when you have all these clients developing their own feature sets, but everything's open source, that everything will move faster because you don't have one guy in a boardroom saying, I don't think that anybody will use that. You have some guy sitting in a basement making it happen. And if nobody uses it, then one one dev on one client side did some work that didn't get used, but somebody everywhere is always trying to, to make things better and improve things. There's a marketplace that's really, really weak, but it's, you know, I expect that it'll get developed. And if it doesn't, someone will develop one. And I, I just see this as the future of commerce. Yeah, no, 100%. And this is the real beauty of it is that at the end of the day, like if you go back to kind of the origins of the Internet and you just kind of walk through the history of how we developed is what ended up the reason we re siloed, the reason we went back to social media as closed uh, permissioned networks was because while when we developed all of the Internet protocols, it was done so from the perspective of trying to connect people to information mm -hmm. and everything was, everything was about managing and organizing that information, which also makes sense. It would be kind of the lowest hanging fruit because you're specifically looking for something on the internet, but slowly that began to change. Our relationship began to change. But so the first iterations though, were the web browser, the hyperlink, how do you move through the information? How do you turn it into an experience rather than just like this, this static thing that's sitting in front of you, you could surf the web thanks to hypertext, um, which was a huge, was a breakthrough in just like how you re how you interacted with this thing, you know? Um, then we went to every business has a website and you know, everybody's just fighting to get you to go to their website. And then, something began to change is that we began, we slowly became so connected and this really happened with obviously the mobile revolution is really what kicked this off to a degree that just uh, that uh, exaggerated and just kind of like put this trend on steroids where everyone was just tied into this thing. And then we realized that the real heart of what the internet was, was not really about connecting to some specific information and or some specific idea it was about connecting to people it was people wanted to connect to other people and they wanted the curated thoughts i mean people wanted updates like just on what somebody ate today you know like like we are social beings we go there to be social 
And before we figured out how to, and the things that revolutionized social were the like and the retweet, the like and the share, because they completely changed how information came to us rather than the way that we navigated through the internet. So suddenly my weight, the weight in my social graph is how information feeds towards me Mm. and the ability to share unlocked this information go viral feedback loop. You know, like before the, the real birth of social media, virality was incredibly um, neutered, so to speak. After social media, after the ability to share, you could move information to in front, sit it in front of millions of people in a matter of an hour. Hmm. And that fundamentally changed our interaction with it. And the network effect and the, the outsized benefit and the, the social, uh, all the social rewards that we got from that made the network effect of the closed permission system outpace all of the time it would take to make a decentralized protocol version of that interaction to such a degree that it just never happened. Multiple people tried to make it happen, but they just couldn't keep up with the fact that everybody just got on Facebook because they wanted to share. They wanted to like, they wanted to see their friends, you know, they wanted to be connected to everybody. So we literally had to play that entire thing out to its end game of everybody's centralized. Everybody's being controlled top down by what they're going to see. And your social graph is being used against you like a weapon. And you know, the opinions are being manipulated until pressure is so bad. Our privacy is so stolen and we're just being lied to constantly being told what to think that everybody's realizing we have to make, we have to do something different. And finally the pressure is there to, uh, to finally turn it into a protocol. Um, but I think it was just that the protocol didn't come first and the, the network effect of the, sh- of the social graph was so unbelievably strong that we just siloed into these giant centralized platforms and now we're paying the price. We're, we're, and I just don't want to do that with AI. <laughs> I, I don't want to do that again. Like I think, I think we, we learned our this. lesson and let's not boil the frog and uh, let's, uh, let's stay ahead of it this time. Yeah. Yeah, and we had somebody asking about do they need to set up a relay to use Nostr? No, other people do that. No, if you have a client, yeah. you select the relays you want to use. A lot of them are free. Some of them are paid. But I think you would agree with me. Like, we really would recommend that start in a browser, even if you add a mobile app, use Albi to manage your key pair because that makes everything so flipping easy. So if you don't have the Albi extension installed, do that first. Throw a little mm-hmm. bit of Bitcoin in there on Lightning and start engaging with the ecosystem. Um, because I think that this sounds intimidating right up until you do it. I heard from a dude that was 71 years old today. Yeah. I, I, like I kept hearing you bitch about it, man, and I didn't want to do it. And then finally, like, <laughs> I went and did it and I went to Noster Howe and it, like did the Aldi thing. And like, it's so easy. And it's like, it's one of those things. It's kind of an automation thing. Like a lot of the automated processes I use in my business, they're kind of a pain in the ass, but you only mm-hmm. do it once. Once you did it, then this, you know, like I do a post, an email goes out. Like I don't have to ever touch that again. And so Noster's not quite that, but like once you're set up, you go to a new Noster client in a browser, you just connect to Aldi and it works and you don't, 
it's like you said, it's like being on Facebook, but you're communicating with people on Twitter and maybe somebody on MeWe and somebody on Mastodon or whatever. And honestly, I think like a good analogy for what Noster is, it's Mastodon without the bullshit, right? Like it's, it, Mastodon, it's Mastodon without the bullshit, bullshit and without the walls. Without the walls, exactly. The problem with Mastodon is that, like, I was really hopeful for it. You know, I've, I've tested out, like, a bunch of these over the years because I've always thought this was, like, a core problem that needed to be solved. And I knew it eventually would be, but I felt there, there just had to be kind of this recipe of, like, this perfect storm yeah. to make the migration and make it sustainable. Because, again, monetization was always a huge problem. But I think the integration of Lightning and where we are with Bitcoin and the Lightning infrastructure and then Cashew and Fediment, like all these things that are happening all at the same time. Yeah. I think we finally have all the infrastructure in place to actually pull this off. To yeah, actually have a new monetization model. Um, and uh, um, in fact, one I've been thinking about just recently, I was just kind of brainstorming on it last night um, that I haven't heard anybody else say, you know, the there's there is a beautiful element to advertising and marketing having made the internet free but in these closed source platforms it also comes with a lot of really bad drawbacks um and i've been thinking about the fact that like you could directly pay a relay just to promote a post or a note just to Mm. weight it higher than other things to your follower list so that like if somebody's following like 500 people and five of those people just pay 5,000 sats to like the four most popular relays or whatever yeah. to just weight it higher. Yeah. And it, and it only happens to your followers and then to the followers that they tweet it or they renote it. Yeah. 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 Because you don't want to be, you want, you don't want people on like the global feed to be able to put something dirty or awful in front of you just because they paid. Um, uh, so it makes sense to actually weight it by the social graph. But that you just make sure that your 500 followers or the of the 500 people like following yours is just at the top or it's just it's either repeated or it's in a prominent location or something so that it's just more in front of them. And, and it can even say this was promoted at, you know, 5000 sats or this was, you know, weighted it to, to some degree because we're going to have to figure out algorithms on how to arrange and people will choose how to orient the information in their feed. Um, because filtering and curating is going to kind of be the big thing here. Um, I, I think that's going to be the, the golden ticket to, to making yeah. all of this work. And if you have a way that people can just pay directly, then you don't have to worry about, you'll still have brand marketing, but it won't yeah. be these like tied up sponsorship contracts and, you know, all this stuff. It will be kind of a free flowing, like the environment and the ecosystem just pushes sats to yeah. amplify certain information. Um, and, and, and some relay starts really overdoing that and doing it in a poor way, then people just stop using that relay. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, then in addition, when we're talking about like the circular economy and also the network effect is nobody, nobody's ever, nobody's gonna, none of these closed platforms are going to be able to compete with the protocol. I think lightning is already an indication of how quickly it can go against them because of what capabilities the open source can have even when it is in this early stage when you know all the kinks aren't worked out but here's the really big thing is that think of all the walled gardens and i haven't i didn't post it yet where where is it okay yeah i'm gonna post it in just a minute but i'm uh selling some uh uh ram 
I okay. accidentally, when I was uh, putting together my custom computer, I must have just like selected on the wrong model or whatever. And I have a motherboard that's DDR5, and I accidentally mm-hmm. bought some DDR4 RAM. Mm-hmm. But it's like unopened, and it's like 32 gigs of RAM. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's solid. Um, and so I could go to eBay. I have like two followers on yeah. eBay. You know, I've used my eBay account like once a year or something. And it's usually just to buy some random thing. Like last time I used it to buy the second issue of Wired magazine in which the cypherpunks were unveiled. I wanted a, I always wanted a copy of that. Um, and, uh, uh, so I have no network on eBay. And, but I have, you know, on Twitter, I got like, what, 60,000 or some, something? I have yeah. a whole bunch of followers. I have a bunch of followers on Twitter. That's my only real network or, and Noster now. Yeah. Um, and why would I want those networks separate? You know, why on earth would I want to go to eBay where nobody is going to see my shit to sell something when I've got the Twitter network? Well, the reason I don't is because I can't sell it on Twitter. I just have to link them back to eBay. You know, I, I, it's still, it's still walled off. I can't accept payment through Twitter. Like there's no, like the ship it, like none of the marketplace thing can happen on Twitter because of this, this idea that everything has to be put into this regulatory box and this compliance bureaucratic nightmare. Yeah. But I can on Noster. Yeah. Which means that the network effect of anybody who's looking for a place to buy things we're looking for a marketplace to buy or sell and the network effect of the social media help each other. Yeah. They feed back on each other. So maybe you didn't even want to use it for a social media, but there's an active network of people buying and selling computer parts. Cause it's all a bunch of nerds. Yeah. Well then you go there for the market and you stay for the social media and vice versa. You, 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 you start stacking and amplifying is just like the internet. You use the internet for one thing. It's that much easier to use it for another thing. That's how protocols feedback on themselves. And there's a positive feedback loop for every single use case we can make for Noster. And there's not, there's, it's really kind of limitless because it's just a different model of how we think about information on the internet. It's not, it, it is information agnostic. It's a whole lot like Keat and Hole Punch in that way. It's just yeah. a different model of feeding information to people, which means it can be website. Like, why would I have a website when I have a curated medium page and social media? It is purely, purely because of the network, because of how people are used to interacting with it. And as it grows, there's you're never going to be able to compete with a protocol that can just keep stacking features and different types and, uh, um, UX uh, experience, like d- different experiences for different types of media and content and marketplaces. Um, like you're just, you'll never be able to catch up with it. Like no. as soon as it gets away from you, it's done. It's done. No, because here's some of the things I could see happening, right? So yeah. we're going to eventually have an inter- seamlessly integrated video platform with Noster that will be able to use like RMTP to stream. So mm-hmm. I started stream and it just like it, it works on Twitter, like it opens up a live stream on my Twitter feed. My people see it and start watching it. So if I can do that on Noster and they start thinking about what. So I have integrated payments and I can generate invoices on the fly. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's people here's one example. They have their whole business model. They go to thrift stores and yard sales and shit like that. They find like the cherry pick stuff. And they list it on eBay or whatever, right? And they flip it. And there's people that make, I mean, they make multi-six-figure incomes doing this shit. 
Well, if you build a network of people that buy crap like that and you specialize in certain things, I can see a person walking around with a live feed on their mobile, finding shit and putting it in their carts at a thrift store with first come, first serve. You, you, whoever closes that invoice out gets the product and then it's mm-hmm. gone. And they spend their time in the store and they only walk out and pay for what they've already sold. Yeah. Now, that's just a redneck duck farmer thinking out loud about a business model. I'm not even involved in watch other people doing it. So then you have to say, well, what could you not monetize this way when you have a practically free peer-to-peer payments network that has instant settlement? And then you're building your network. So like a lot of what eBay provides is trust. I go yeah. like, look up Guy Swan's thing. Let's say you didn't have four people or whatever. Let's say you'd been it's there. It's about reputation. Yeah. yeah. You've been a power seller for a long time. And I look and I'm buying some shit from you and I don't know you, but you have four stars. You have 8,000 transactions. I'm going to just buy your stuff. Yeah. But I know you. And as long as I know your pub key is you, mm-hmm. like, and, and you can do that by on your other sites you control saying this is my pub key and I can make sure they match. Okay, fine. I know this is Guy. If you're selling RAM, if I needed that RAM, I would buy it from you. I don't give a flying crap what your reputation is because I know you. Yeah. And that's what yeah. your network it precedes, it precedes me because it's on the social network. The social yeah. network is is the more ubiquitous of yeah. my reputation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the more broad, whereas eBay's is a hyper-specific one, um, yeah. which means it's also the environment that could actually get you to make better sense of the reputation attacks or somebody who's just being a total dick and giving you a bad rating when they're the ones who made the mistake, yeah. you know, like, because the, the reputation is more, it is a social reputation rather than explicit by event sort of reputation. Um, and you can expand that again. It, it, it's the, like, that's like, just like you said, that is the value of eBay. That's what the closed network is providing is an isolated, reputation measure mm-hmm. so you're getting re-repu- you, you know you're redoing all of the base work for your reputation on amazon on ebay yeah. exactly on like you're doing you're starting this shit over and over and over again just to join or try out some new network which is the problem with trying out new networks it's why new networks have such a horrible time competing because you have to start over you have to start from scratch every single time um and when you have a protocol all of that goes out the window. Goes you just carry your network with you. Yeah, because you already have that trust built. So why have to rebuild it in this new place? So like, if you and I hung yeah. out at a bar all the time, and we knew each other, and we you know traded stuff once in a while, like I had extra ammo, so I sold you some or whatever. And we had that relationship. If we met in a new bar, like, hey, you're coming here to yeah, this is mm-hmm. a new place. We wouldn't like okay, let's let's reset our relationship to zero because we went to a yeah. different building. Well, yeah. when you go from eBay to Facebook Marketplace, that's what you're essentially doing. You're having that's to exactly what happens. Yeah. And, and and so the problem with the centralized control is you have to think about how many weak points there are of vectors of attack. So let's say you are a power mm-hmm. seller on eBay. You're making really good money. The woke crowd decides that you're an evil ANCAP bastard and they want you shut down. So they start lobbying eBay to shut you down. Maybe eBay does. Maybe they don't. But how do you take payments? Right. If you're on eBay, you're probably taking payments with PayPal. So can they get PayPal to shut you down? Because that's happened to a lot of people in our space. Like they get their merchant account shut down. So those are two vectors attack. Then the other vector attack is just like start buying randomly cheap crap from you and then posting shitty reviews. There's all these vectors of attack where your personal network, there's not many vectors of attack. Like there's a lot of people can say, do you know, Jack Spear go said insert crazy thing here. And my people are going to be like, sounds like Jack. 
right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that in your point, where if you when you're dealing without that network effect, you're dealing with like a very easy like virtual tar and feather uh, model where they can like destroy you because the people you're dealing with don't know you and, and you you again you're always back to zero. You know, I look mm-hmm. at it right now like there's a lot of risk out there. I won't ever. I won't get rid of what I have. I won't shut down my YouTube channel because I have a large following. I won't shut down my Twitter, but I will never build on a platform that could shut me down ever. It's not worth my effort. It's not yeah, at this point. Effort. No, it doesn't make any sense. The, the platforms, the, the, the movement in the networks and the platforms or, or the, the protocols in which you can't be shut down is enough at this point that it doesn't make sense to, to invest the time and the effort into one where when, when the conditions of potential censorship and shutting down and having to start your entire network over is in the most precarious it has ever been, particularly with people who don't just completely just take a straw and suck up all the vomit of the mainstream media. Um, that if, if you're not doing that, it makes no sense to, make a heavy investment. It's, it's kind of why my YouTube channel, as much as I want to get like video yeah. up and running and I've got like a bunch of projects that are like, you know, 40% of the way done, like 10 of them. Um, it's why I don't really make a huge investment in my YouTube and mostly my memes just get posted on Twitter and then they just get posted on YouTube kind of as an afterthought, yeah. you know, it's just because I just know, I know, I 100% know I'm going to say some shit that's going to get me banned. Like without a doubt, I can't make it, I can't make it two hours without criticizing them. <laughs> I've I've been to to YouTube prison a few times. I've got my uh my my prisoner four badge for YouTube prison, Facebook prison, Twitter prison, uh, <laughs> and I've been right to the edge of bands, you know. Um, yeah. And, and you know I don't want to give it up because it does have that broader reach. But my hope mm-hmm. is that things like this eventually will let me walk because when the influence is equal or greater then there's no reason other than like we're on Streamyard right now and we're on my channel, your channel on YouTube. We're also like on my Odyssey channel, uh, my Rumble channel, et cetera. As long as I can do it from like, I, I don't even use Facebook anymore, but I'm still on Facebook live because all I have to do is tick a box inside yeah. Streamyard and I, I can uh, go to eight sources at one time. Yeah. Um, but I really want to see something integrated with Noster with, with live video because that would be, that would be kind of the final piece for the podcaster world. Like I know you do Bitcoin audible for people not familiar with what guy does with Bitcoin audible. He reads other people's articles. So this format for that may not be a great fit, but mm-hmm. like for your guys takes or when you're doing an interview, this I was about to say guys takes and interviews are frequent enough that yeah. this would be a huge benefit. Yeah. It, it's you do the work once and you get multiple effects. It goes out to those yeah. platforms and it's, it's not just live. It then stays as an archived video and yep. you grab the audio out of the back office of this thing, and I run it through some editing to compress it and do some stuff. But yeah, it's it's really simple. It's minimal on the back end. Yeah, you know. And the thing is, it's also using a protocol. If Streamyard goes woke, I can just get another platform to broadcast with, right? Like, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there'll be an open source version of this. There probably already is. You know more about stuff like that than me. Mm-hmm. I know you've mentioned some stuff with streaming video and all that was pretty badass, but I just. We all have only so many hours in a day. Um, I don't actually do a lot of streaming. I've played with a lot yeah. of tools. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's really more than that. what I've done is just like I'm I'm a video nerd and I've, I've done a lot of them uh, uh, like uh, 
um, it would basically kind of the rabbit hole of AI. You know, I've done media and video for a long time before that. I've probably used every software stack for video editing. Um, you can do that's kind of what the purpose of my memes were, were to figure out what the hell my video workflow was going to be. Mm. Um, but, uh, uh, what was that question? Do I post anything other than memes? Yeah, I already answered uh, it. To oh, okay, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Post anything. Yeah. There's just yeah. a lot of chatter about getting zapped for memes, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I made a joke. I don't know if you saw it. Shitposting earned zaps, baby. Yeah, generational it does. <laughs> it's like the year is 2040. Son, dad, where did our generational wealth come from? Father, shitposting <laughs> memes on Noster, son. <laughs> oh, God. Because you know you wonder you, you some I, you know I have days where I get twenty thousand sats in zaps yeah. Yeah. and you wonder I got forty dollars I got forty dollars for my matrix one oh that's badass yeah that's badass I don't even know how many sats that is in my head but I yeah I, I don't know right off the top it's uh it's like half a million yeah yeah something like that that sounds about right yeah one million would be divided by two so four hundred. 40. I think that's, I think that's about right. Half a million sats for one shit posting meme. So what's those half a million sats worth in a year 2040? Who knows? You know? Half a million dollars. One dollar sats. So that's hundred billion. Half a million in today's dollars. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. dollar's <laughs> not going to be worth. There'll yeah. be a new dollar. It'll be like 40 trillion dollars by then. There'll, there'll be a new dollar by that. I'm sure of it. It'll probably yeah. be centralized. Um, on that, I was listening to your guys' take about not pooping in the park. <laughs> I didn't get to listen to the whole thing, but it was really on no. ordinals. I don't want to turn this to an ordinal discussion, but you were making some comments about fediments. And this mm-hmm. is something I would like maybe for you to explain exactly, because I've tried to take time to look into this, and I just haven't had that much time. Because I think fediments, from what I understand, are a big part of the future. Could you maybe explain what a fediment is in the Bitcoin world and kind of where that's headed? Yeah, so the way I I think the the important way to frame fediments and this e-cash uh shift or this new technology or whatnot um is from the custodial perspective. Is that right now custody is completely centralized, completely surveilled, completely KYC and completely controlled by someone else. So, you don't really own Bitcoin when you're on a centralized platform, right? You have an IOU. Yeah. Um, and you obviously have no privacy from the exchange. You, I mean, everything is just, it's just their computer, right? Well, Fediment is a way to federate the exchange among many different parties, make the pegging in and pegging out, the swapping in and out, something that is essentially open like the Bitcoin network. You could have very strict whitelists, but it's just totally based on the federation. Like, right. so let's say there's 20 people that are part of this. So it's a giant multi-sig essentially. Um, so you have like a threshold where unless 17 people or 15 people or whatever all together decide that they're going to screw everyone and just completely eviscerate their reputations and all of this stuff. Um, that, and same with like splitting it up jurisdiction wise, you know, if the government comes after them, yeah. that unless that happens, the money is safe. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a federated exchange. It's still custodial. It's still okay. custodial, but you have perfect privacy from the federation so that after you are in the fediment, it is built like e-cash. So this was the model that they tried to make work with 
uh, digital banks with online banking mm-hmm. previously before Bitcoin and cypherpunks realized you had to make your own money in order to actually do this because you can never make a centralized version of this work. No. Um, but it's a way to sign and move funds within the Fediment so that none of the federated people they're signing and they know the Bitcoin is there, but they have no idea how much the amount that's being sent and they have no idea the sender and the receiver. It's, it's essentially perfect from, from a degree of, uh, from a cryptographic sense, it's perfect privacy from the Fediment itself as to what is being exchanged. Um, so it's like an exchange where the risk, the custodial risk is split up among many different people and potentially many different jurisdictions if the Fediment is smart. Um, and so because of that, transactions are essentially free or they're, they're off chain, you know, um, and you have privacy as a user. You're, you're not using a service that can see into, you know, your wallet or your transaction history or anything like that. Um, they are simply the custodians of the, of the funds. Um, so it's a huge, huge step function improvement over the custodial relationship. And it has all of the benefits of custody with while mitigating two of the most critical drawbacks. Yeah. Like, um, but obviously it is still custodial. However, it can integrate by swapping between fediments and it can integrate with lightning just by having the fediment operators use lightning nodes. Um, uh, to like basically attach lightning nodes. And as long as they're willing to accept payment within the fediment, which obviously they are like, why wouldn't they? Um, uh, now it becomes multiple layer two protocols and multiple layer two pools of funds that are bridged via lightning. Mm-hmm. And you have v- multiple layers of different privacy elements working together in order to fulfill payments. Um, and obviously it's all off chain. So it's, I think it's a, it's a brilliant way to, um, uh, give that privacy focus or that privacy feature um, while mitigating a lot of the major problems that usually come with uh, mitigating the fee problem and mitigating the direct trust in one individual or one company problem. Uh, and because of that, I think it, it basically relocalizes, relocalizes services is that yeah. The toxic, the, the feedback loop of toxic bigness of everything, everything being a giant corporation yeah. is basically flipped on its head. And now, uh, you can actually have a huge benefit from being a small mobile player, um, and interoperating between all of these different ones. Like I think communities will have their own sediment, um, or eCash or something like that. Um, and now you can do it on a local scale, like Cali BTC. It's such a great example. Um, they're running a eCash, which is not, not Fediment. It's not the same thing, but it has the same privacy elements. Yeah. Um, uh, Cashew, uh, is like, I don't know Cali BTC. Like I've never met them in person. I don't know where they live, but they are hosting a privacy preserving payment network, um, or payment service that anyone in the world can use. No matter the jurisdiction, no matter, you know, the degree of funds, you know, whatever it is. And I can send it over Nostra. Um, and it integrates with Lightning because he runs a Lightning node. Uh, so I can basically have like the cashew wallet or whatever. I can have it treat Lightning and eCash exactly the same. 
and instantly receive payment on either um as as if they're the same thing like i don't necessarily i mean like right now i don't think it's quite in that state but it's just it's a no-brainer that it that's where it's headed um would you say fediments are kind of like a private and anonymous banking system because we have a question yeah. here basically saying yeah. that yeah yeah that's that's, that's, that's the great way to think about fediments it. are centralization i don't think this guy's fudding i think he's just asking a question but there's a lot as you know from the shit coiners the whole lightning is run by the banks all kinds of bullshit this is a, like another step up it's not run by the banks you choose to be part of a fediment um yeah, yeah. i if i you and i are in a fediment i can't rug your money like it takes multiple actors working together because it's a giant multi-sig, like you said. Um, it's kind of like saying that relays. Would, it's kind of like saying that relays can rug you on Noster. Okay. Like you do have some degree of trusted relationship, mm-hmm. um, and a fediment is something that you would do for again. It's it's like people saying you should never use custodial lightning, and it's like for five or ten bucks, it's totally fine to use custodial lightning. Every you know, like it's all about that. You can't separate the degree of risk from the type of risk. You know, like you just don't put your cold storage in a freaking exchange. If you got a hundred thousand dollars, you don't give it to somebody else. No. But you're never gonna put that shit on lightning. You know, if you're accepting fifty dollars of payments and it gets to a meaningful amount, it's like a hundred, two hundred dollars, and you're like, I really don't want to lose this. Send it to your lightning node. But in the meantime, it's totally fine to accept the that degree of risk with a centralized entity for ease of use or the like lowering the barrier. Like I onboard people with wallet of Satoshi and I tell them you should send it to Fe- you should send it to Phoenix when it becomes like a meaningful amount of money and, and show them. But it's quicker and there's no onboarding fee. You know, there's no initial channel set up with wallet of Satoshi. It's 10 um, seconds. It's, I, it takes it's all out. Like, I literally do it You're while I'm, they, they're handing back, me my right? food. And I'm like, just download this and then show me the QR code. Yeah. And, and and I post it on uh, Noster pretty much every time. Yeah. And then they get like $100 in tips from everybody else just being like, welcome. You know, welcome yeah. to Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in that same way, like Fediment or Cashew or eCash or whatever. Yes, it is custodial. custodial. Yes, it is a service provider arrangement. Um, but in the context of Fediment, it is specifically a federated arrangement. So you have many different people in this and you can have, you can have completely custom and unique security arrangements because mm-hmm. it's with Bitcoin script. So it's not even, it doesn't necessarily have to be a flat multi-sig. It could be a tiered multi-sig with a series of longer time locks, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a hierarchical channel or something like that, where even if like everybody dies or has their keys stolen or whatever it is, like as long as you wait a year, one key can essentially fulfill all payments at the end of it. But if any other key is still present, they can always deny one key from, you know, taking over the thing. Like so you, you just, you have the freedom of script to create a custom um, or, or really complex and nuanced security arrangement. It does not have to be so simple. And with the, the commitments likely coming to Bitcoin in some form or fashion, because we've had like 10 different proposals that tried to make commitments happen, um, yeah. they're going, we are going to have commitments on Bitcoin. And with that, the security model gets even more, even more interesting. Um, uh, so 
I think you have it's to programmatic you, money. It's a programmatic market. It's a programmatic yeah. market is what it is. I think you have um, to start looking at the why behind this. So if you call a fediment centralization, then you call a contract a centralization. So let's say you and I and four other guys decided we wanted to invest in real estate together. We would drop a contract, have it reviewed by our attorneys. Even if we trust each other implicitly, we're still going to do a contract so that when there's a disagreement, then we go to the Bible, which is the contract. And we and I go, oh, God, you know what? You were right. It says right here. So that keeps everything clean. So a fediment is basically a contract. And there could be a reason that we want to pool funds. Yeah, we probably wouldn't do it unless we had a compelling reason. It might be because we all own companies and we're constantly paying each other. That yeah, might man. be one or we're running a some sort of conglomerate or co-op and we're constantly dealing with outside entities and we want group purchasing power. Mm-hmm. You don't know why you would do this, but you have to think like I think part of the problem that Bitcoiners have is we hate the banks so much. We forgot that banks actually had a purpose at one time. There is a use for banking. That's the perfect way to put it. That is the perfect way to put it. Fractional reserve central banking stays in the hate column, but the concept of banking has value. And what a fediment does is let you and me decide we're going to create the Guy Swan Jack Spearco bank for this intended purpose under this specific charter to do these specific things. And Mm -hmm. when the state's like, well, um, please, you need to fill out these forms. No, we don't. Fuck you. That's that's really what it is. So that's exactly the opposite of centralization. And the other question was, uh, is it currency generated by proof of work or is its own fiat? It's Bitcoin. My understanding is literally Bitcoin on chain like lightning is. Yeah. Um, So the transaction. um, uh, So what you're trading with the e-cash is is, it's essentially an IOU for Bitcoin, but you can see the total amount of Bitcoin because it's on chain. Mm -hmm. So your it's like the federation can say explicitly here's our address that we're swapping in and out of and there's 50 bitcoin or 100 and 100,000 bitcoin whatever it is a huge yeah. amount, right um and you can explicitly see that that is there uh but while you're in while you're making transactions in the fediment there's no bitcoin transaction taking place it's just you're you're exchanging redemption tokens from this pool of bitcoin yeah um and then they the the fediment itself will sign all the collective swap ins and swap outs um like you know every block or whatever it is like there's mm-hmm. just like a batch of transactions okay. um and all the transactions in just have no data on chain because it's kind of like, it's kind of like a lightning transaction in that yeah. sense um yeah. except that a lightning transaction you can independently take it's already signed so yeah. you can publish it if you want um well eCash is a different it is its own thing. So you can't like take an e-cash note or whatever and publish yeah. it to the chain. It's the fediment. Um, that, that's what makes it kind of a, that's what makes it a more custodial relationship. Yeah. I mean, back to a co-investment, you, me, two other guys, we decide we're going to put a hundred thousand dollars into real estate investments, right? That's yeah. a contract. We agree to tie up the funds for five years to give this thing a chance to become a going concern. You don't get to come to us six weeks into it and go, my wife's pissed. I changed my mind. I want my 25 grand back. Yeah. Right. You've you've invested that. And then, you know, if you do it right, you have a buyout procedure or something like that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you don't because once you've made that business arrangement, that's part of how banking works is to create these contractual relationships with each other. Once that money goes in the bank, there is a procedure to get it out. You can't just walk in, write a check to yourself for cash for twenty five grand and walk out with twenty five dollars, twenty five grand worth of the partnership's capital. 
Mm-hmm. And this, again, we're privatizing that function of public banking. And we're mm-hmm. privatizing and making it anonymous at the same time. So I don't want to turn yeah. this into a fitment, but I, a podcast, but I think that that's important. Like, because there's a lot of things people are questioning. How can Bitcoin scale? And this yeah. is a scaling mechanism for certain forms of transactions. And I think that we have to stop this idea of like transactions per second on chain are the most important. Like, it's an irrelevant metric. It's like asking, what are the transactions per second on the U.S. dollar network? Yeah, it, there yeah. is no there, there is, but there isn't the US like there's mechanisms by which dollars are moved. So we have the new money, which is Bitcoin, and we have mechanisms by which that money is moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and. In that same sense, the reason I think Fediment. Uh, can just two people do this to hide individual transactions? Yes. Yeah, okay. technically. So kind of like a lightning uh, node, I mean, a lightning channel or whatever you can exchange back and forth in that channel. Um, no, yeah, you could do that with a Fediment. It probably wouldn't be super efficient. That's what I'm thinking. Well, I don't know. I don't know. If you're doing a lot of transactions, then yeah, why not? I guess if it's a continuous, like, revolving credit line between two entities, that would, like, a corporate-level thing. Um, if it's but you'd still kind of want a – you'd still kind of want a transaction – you kind of want the lightning network arrangement actually because it's more trustless, you know, Yeah. Um, in the sense that you can publish at any time and you don't need that other party. Um, so you might even build like a security model within the Fediment. And because it's off chain anyway, you don't really need privacy from each other because you're just trading with each other. So Fediment is you can think of Fediment if it's just between the parties in the Fediment. Yeah. Like let's say it's 40 people who literally are just like businesses and they're operating together. Yeah. Then yes, it can actually behave like a forty-person lightning pool, essentially, um, and that would actually be a really cool use case. Is essentially a layer on top of lightning, and then each one of those nodes could fulfill payments in and out over lightning. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you're trading with one other party in your forty business pool or whatever, um, the other thirty-eight people don't know what's happening, or they yeah. just they they can't see your transactions, which might be a really good benefit. You know, businesses do not like, you know, to like if, uh, you know, Apple spends $2 million at Corning for some, you know, new contract or whatever, they might not want anybody to know that they're doing something new with their glass or, you know, like something in their uh, uh, system. It's really important. They want to keep that shit under wraps until they get to announce something. Don't blame them. Um, So, uh, that in combination specifically in lightning is a, is a actually really good potential use case. Um, I think also the limitations on time within the Fediment. So another way I see this working, I've run LLCs before where like maybe we, per, per, uh, appoint one of the members as a manager, but mm-hmm. they're not really a senior investor. They're just, a, they're just a small investor. And, but they're also need somebody to see some day to day stuff. Part of their contribution is sweat equity is what you would call it. And we might say to that person, OK, you have a allowance for uh, miscellaneous discretionary spending of two grand a month. Mm-hmm. Like, in addition to the bills that have to be paid that are already set up, that you don't have to touch. Like if you need something, if one of the employees needs something, whatever, you can spend up to two thousand dollars a month. Fill out an expense report. You don't have to explain yourself. If it goes two thousand and one dollars, you need approval of, you know, the senior partners or whatever. Well, with yeah. a sentiment, you could just set that allowance. Mm-hmm. Right? And if they try to overspend their discretionary allowance, 
It won't work. Because the only thing that actually prevented that was integrity and fear. Right. There was nothing that actually like if, if the check went to the bank that the guy signed that he had signature authority over the bank processed the check. Yeah. Right. But if you had a hard set, smart, smart contractual limit, you could take a manager, dial them in. You could spend to these entities this much every month and not a penny more without addition. Like it, th- that's the type of thing I see it being used for as well. Like you could run a court. The promise of what the hell do they call them in the Ethereum space? Um Decentralized, uh, 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 the decentralized oh, DAOs. DAOs, like the promise DAOs. of the DAO actually realized. Yeah. So the the problem with uh, just the idea of a DAO is that the reason sound money is ex- exists and the reason it is trustless, like, like you want a trustless money is so yeah. that you can build trust on top of it. Yeah. The whole point of a market is to build trust. Yeah. Um. And really the solution to banking and the reason why I think Fediment is such an important element in this, because, I mean, you're 100% right. Banking serves a really crucial and important purpose, like the, the infrastructure of payments and money services is not going to go away. What we want is to lower the barrier as much as possible and have a uh, have all of the tools in place to vet and prove and to verify our relationship with these entities, which is exactly what you need decentralized social media for to, yeah. to basically pool with people that you know and or trust and who have built up a long-term relationship or a long-term reputation. And it's exactly what these proof of reserve protocols and these sorts of things are. Um, and uh, in fact, Cali BTC just made one that basically has a proof that a way to prove that your tokens, your your e-cash or whatever, is in the cashew pool, um, trust trustlessly in a sense, mm-hmm. um, or is it basically as much as it can be. You just know always that the Bitcoin is there, and you'll know it instantly if any if anything ever changes. Um, and like all of these tools that we can put in place to build these relationships, and then like think of the barrier, like the problem with banking, is the fact that we have fundamentally unsound money which makes horrible, horrible, irresponsible and abusive practices profitable, mm-hmm. which are not in a yeah. normal environment. No, they just not. aren't. And, uh, and then the absolutely phenomenal wall around getting in and providing services to people. It's a nightmare to get yeah. a charter, to get permission to play in the pool of yeah. the counterfeit elite. Yeah. Um, like it's insane. But when you lower that barrier to somebody who's running a Raspberry Pi, Cali BTC ran, run, run, is running that tip bot on, uh, uh, was on a dual Raspberry Pi. I read that thing on the show because I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, it was literally like a two, like a two thing Raspberry Pi, yeah. no jurisdictions, no borders, no anything running yeah. a, a lightning tipping service. Um, like you can't, you, I don't even know how you could fathomably lower the barrier more. Like there's just like the barrier is just gone. Do you have a computer? Cool. You know, um, and in doing so, you just open the environment to actually build trust and build communities and actually have some sort of a meaningful relationship with the businesses and the services and the people that you rely on day to day, rather than these giant faceless corporations that you don't know shit about. And you're certain they're your enemy. You just have to use them um, like it just it completely it flips that relationship entirely on its head. And now anybody I'm 
I, I fully intend to be uh, a probably a sediment, maybe Uncle Jim on lightning. I think it'll be based on like probably the easiest way to run these nodes when I have my um uh uh with the integration probably because of Nostra, it'll just be lightning purely yeah. like an un- Uncle Jim model with like LN bits maybe. Yeah. Um, but when I have this computer up and running, I fully intend to be that for like a bunch of my family and friend group. And rather than trusting Wallet of Satoshi, they'll trust me. Yeah. Because they could just call me on the phone if something goes wrong. And they know I know what the hell I'm doing and like what I'm talking about. And they're probably trusting me with their keys anyway, because I sat down with them to set up their hardware wallet. Uh, yeah, you know, like, yeah. like they've already, we've already established this relationship and I can be a payments and banking service for like 40 people that are really close to me and that I can always just talk directly to. And I can even charge them a little bit for this service sure. and then just stop. Not just, I don't need to go public. I don't need to, yeah. I don't want to expand it to 10,000 people and need a customer service department. No. no, I'll just be that service for those people. And now I'm directly providing value to my community and helping the people that I care about. And you could not have a closer business relationship with somebody is be it with somebody that you know and trust really well for ex- specifically their expertise. You've, you've so fundamentally changed the landscape of money like like you could not like the shift there is astounding and to think about in the context of like a fediment or an e-cash system that i can't even see what they're doing with their money no so even if the government come on the big toes from the roof and says tell me what's going on i don't know it doesn't yeah. work that way. It makes me think of the letter that Nunchuck wrote to the Canadian government, basically. We suggest that you Google how a, a custodial wallet works because we, we can't help – a non-custodial wallet works because we can't help you. We don't yeah. know. We'll never know. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing for us to give you. And by the way, you're in Canada and the United States will go, screw it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what this all makes me think of is the quote that you know, freedom can't be given. It must be taken. Yeah. And that's what this is. So like when people listen to that, they hear centralization. What you're talking about is going from five or six big payment processors in the in the country to five million. Right. That like any mm-hmm. business person or person that just wants to do personal payments and all can have a guy like you. Pun not intended with the name, but they have a guy and that guy takes mm-hmm. care of their stuff that they don't want to learn how to do. And again, mm-hmm. you're back to how much money are we talking here? Like if you have you don't you treat your long-term investments different than you treat the, the money in your pocket and you treat both of them different than you treat your checking account. There's mm-hmm. different layers of like when I go out, if I go out on a weekend and I'm out of town, I'll take some cash with me. Maybe I got two, 300 bucks. Could I reach in my pocket, pull something out and that 300 bucks hit the ground and some nefarious dude that doesn't give you your money back, step on it, take it. And I'm out and it's gone. There's nothing I can do. Sure. I'm not going to carry more money like that then I'm comfortable losing and I'm probably not going to put all $300 in one pocket. Just like I might, mm-hmm. if I'm using, I might have get all the for a browser based receipts and wallet of Satoshi, even though I run my own lightning node because of the convenience factor. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's really cheap to send your, your lightning back on chain from wallet of Satoshi. Yeah. And then the more times you bump it around, the more anonymity you kind of drum up in that whole lightning universe. When you get zaps from people on Noster and you're getting, uh, streams from people on Fountain, and then they're going to different wallets, and then finally they end up on chain into some UTXO that you just generated. I mean, I, I guess the CIA could track that down, but is it worth <laughs> it for a hundred dollars? 
right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it really does take this. And, and what, what I love also about like how not, uh, no sir in the, the ecosystem is evolving in this way is that it is literally like, like not even just kind of like in an abstract way. It is literally starting from the ground up with penny transactions and it's going to go to $10 transactions and $50 exchanges and, you know, marketplaces and all of these things. It's just going to grow outward from there as we figure out how to do more things with it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. Oh shit. Hold on a second. No, no yeah. problem. I'll, I'll be able to hear you. Okay. So, uh, but I forgot I wanted to check on something. No, go ahead. So one of the things while he's checking on something I want, I want to talk to the guy about with next is what was in my head when I invited him on this episode. And so last year, I believe it was around August, I just really got plugged into Fountain. I realized the monetization network effect of apps, that if you had a app that was incentivized through monetization, the network effect would increase. So you would get better curation, better assistance, better participation, I floated the idea of something like a traffic app where you get paid to rat the cops out. So like when you're using Waze, you see a cop, you report the cop, other people confirm the cop is there. That saved my ass so many times from encounters with the state, which I don't want. I would totally send, I do 5,000, 10,000 sats like that because he tipped me off to that. Mm -hmm. And then Noster showed up and I look at that now and I think if I'm going to build an app and I'm going to monetize it, why don't I just build a Noster client and make it do whatever I want it to do even if it has nothing to do with what we think of as social media, a book reading app, a restaurant sorting app, anything like that, because now I don't have to integrate payments. Payments are there, and every single Noster user immediately can just drop some keys into my app and start, which is not even an app anymore. It looks like an app, but it's really a client, and start using it. Now, I guess the only downside of that would be things like, okay, how do I monetize that as well? But I think there's ways to do that. Like maybe you have a paid relay that's part of your app or something like that. I don't know. And then you're, you're kind of pushing the app stores cut out too, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, the, the amount of things that, when you pay that nine ninety nine for that app, they take a big, dude, oh, it's huge. I think it's like, uh, I think it's like 60%. I want to say it's like ridiculous. The same thing, same thing goes for audible. Um, like when you're doing the plat, the closed platforms are the worst possible thing for because they're they're monetizing the network effect, which there's no reason for it to be closed, you know. Um, so they're they're essentially trapping customers into their network, mm -hmm. owning the network, and then simply charging people for their reach. Um, so it's 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 like the it's violating the the econ the natural economies of scale does not reinforce this. In fact, it's the opposite. But it is only because a closed permissionless network, because the information is trapped, that uh, that you can't bridge this. Um, so Audible takes sixty percent. Hmm. Um, and if hmm. the the person who so for like an audio book, um, if uh, we do if we do the exclusive, we do the exclusive. Um, so that only Audible has the content. The author gets 20%, I get 20%, and Amazon gets 60. We wow. split 40. Like, and this is common. This is not, yeah. this is not even slightly out of the norm. And you think yeah. of like record labels, they take like 80%, 90%. Yeah. Like you're, you're splitting like a couple of percent at the end. 
the artists get screwed up, down, left, and right in an environment where these are artificial, artificial boundaries. These are artificial restrictions that are just there because of the nature of the technology and the inability to create, to, to establish these for open networks. That is why as soon as Noster has any, like as soon as these things have any sort of uh, a large enough audience and uh, platforms to provide these things and that it becomes profitable. Think about it. I could have for an audio book, I could have like a 10th of the sales and do the same thing that I do on audible, make the same yeah. amount of money. Yeah. Except also, that without uh, a <laughs> 1099, without a, you, you know, like, like I without just, a 60 day lag in payments, like ah, <laughs> without having to get it in dollars and then have yeah. my bank go out of business. Um, like the, the, the overwhelming benefit, I'm happy to take a pay cut because the higher percentage, if I'm getting a hundred percent of what I'm selling, then I can literally sell five times fewer and make the exact same amount. So that, that begs the question though, will we get to a point where a client can say, if you use this client, I get. X percent of your zaps because right now that is so mm -hmm. that's what's beautiful is it's direct, but yeah, maybe right. every user of the client would have something to designate. So instead of, instead of splitting the payment on your end, if I'm the client provider, it, it's split from the, the sender's end. So since yeah. it would be on that client, it would mm -hmm. then immediately say, if it's a thousand sats, send guy 900 and send the, you know, relay, the relay, a hundred. And I think that yeah. anything can be done because it's programmable and you would consent to that when you chose that client, because I mm -hmm. think that it's unreasonable to expect that somebody would do the work to develop a client for you and get nothing for it. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I really do. And I, I think that we have to get out of the app store model with this as well, because I, I predict it won't be long before you won't be using an Android or an iOS or anything. You'll be using, you know, Joe Blow's open source device. And you won't even give a shit about app stores anymore because that that's the final pinch pincher point of censorship mm -hmm. where Apple can just go. Yeah, we don't like Domus anymore. Click or Google can just turn off Amethyst. That's and they've done it and we know they'll do it and they've done it in coordinated attacks on particular apps. So mm -hmm. we know they'll do it. So we need a way out of that. And I expect that's something that's coming. That Why would I have an Apple phone? I just have a, a computer. It works like a phone. Yeah. The yeah. software, but, you know, it's an open source app. It might even be a client marketplace, right? Like you wouldn't have an app store. You have a client or you see companies like start nine and what they do with embassy. Eventually, like you may just basically run everything through your embassy. So mm -hmm. you have a device, it connects to the internet, it goes through your embassy or your uh, umbral or something like that. And you just don't care anymore. And I, I see that's what's coming. And then you're back to the Fediment model where, like you said, you might have 40 people that you serve. Well, the person like me with an embassy might have 40 people that I serve that way because they don't want to learn how to run all of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to I, like you. I don't want 10,000, but I would do it for my family, my friends, my business associates. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and the that's really where. Uh, like it reverses the scaling problem of the fiat landscape. And mm -hmm. so like what we're think what we think of as sustainable business is totally different. You know, in the current fiat environment, it, like the economies of scale is actually actually works against giant corporations. 
Yeah. Like the natural economies of scale is bad for the bigger you get, the less adaptable you are. The bigger you get, the the clunkier you are in trying to update stuff. You you have too much um, trapped infrastructure and small mobile entities can, especially in something where the technology environment is changing very, very quickly, small mobile startups and things can adopt the new technology and provide a completely different and better service and basically have build a workflow that is twice as efficient as yours merely by the benefit that they did it nine years later, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and they can take advantage of all this technology where you're going to have a massive cost in overhauling, retraining, rebuilding. Like the reason you have an economies of scale to begin with is because you already have the workflow, but essentially the um, it's purely the benefit, the, the feedback loop that keeps these giant corporations that actually are not even profitable. They're only nominally profitable in place is finance. It's Hmm. finance. It's the fact that they get to use up resources before everyone else because they are credit worthy simply because they're massive. And everyone is just trying to, everybody's uh, trading resources that nobody has actually earned yet. So, the finance is able to, if you don't have any limit on your financing, like let's say we've only got like, you know, a hundred billion dollars in savings collectively. Well, if you're able to finance three trillion dollars worth of stuff and just give it to a bunch of big corporations because it's easy and you don't have to do any due diligence, it's just like, it's just Apple, give them a trillion dollars. Well, you realize they're able to buy up not only the hundred trillion, a hundred billion dollars worth of savings, but also bid up the prices of nine hundred billion dollars in other resources. It prices out the startups competitive advantage, which is natural and would happen. It would be very big if we had sound money. And now Apple can make a nominal return while inflation is 10%. They can have a 6% profit. They've actually destroyed 4%. They've had a net loss in value that they've produced for the economy, but they look like on their stock that they have a 6, 6% profit. It's all artificial. It's all artificial. It's all fake. Those things shit. are not sustainable no. without fiat money. And I, people just don't realize that. They try to apply the model of like, this is how things work to this new environment. And we literally are breaking it. The whole thing is just not the, the, the scope of the feedback loop for these sorts of corporations and that size just isn't going to work anymore. And it's even worse against them now that we can, ha- we actually have open networks that the they can't trap us in a locked in network anymore because the payment is separated the reputation is separated the social graph is separated and as soon as you start to take all of the core pieces that they are trying to profit off of by keeping it closed yeah as soon as you take those out they can't close it anymore or they've killed themselves um and i think this trend is finally it finally seems sustainable it finally seems like it's moving enough fast enough in the right direction. And because we have Bitcoin, because we have these fundamental like open monetary networks that can't be re-centralized, like, like as long as they sustain that decentralization, all of those centralization forces aren't going to work anymore. Yeah. You're making me think of a, a couple lines from rich dad, poor dad, and there's a part in it where Robert says to his rich dad, but don't prices naturally go up? And Rich Dad says, well, in a well-run and ordered economy, they should go down forever. Yeah. Which seems completely – so this is why it made me think of it, though. 
is you have to break fiat thinking completely. You have to sweep it out of your mind. You have to put it on the shelf because you still need it for dealing with daily life. But while you're thinking about Bitcoin, you have to like do a brainectomy for that part of your brain <laughs> because yeah. you're trying to apply a logic that doesn't work as a logic. It, it, yeah. If that makes sense. There's there's no place where fiat actually makes sense. It's why I'm sure you've done this as you discovered what fiat really is, how all money is debt, the monetary creation scheme, how fractional banks do the same thing that the Federal Reserve does. And you try to explain it to somebody and they get this look. And it's just blank. Does not compute like, yeah. like the Android in a you know do not compute and blows up like they get that look. <laughs> But if you think about it, it's it's a dramatically simple explanation. There's nothing about it in of itself that's hard to understand. You issue a bond that generates a number in a computer that is the new money, but there is no money. You yeah. print it. It's not really printing. We call it that, but it's it's issuance as debt, and your promise to repay makes the money. It's actually very simple. The mind, I think it was Henry Ford said it, that the mind repels it. Yeah. Because it is so simple and it makes no sense, the mind repels it. Yeah. That's modern. Well, it's banking. always odds with reality. It, it yeah. makes obvious sense that you can't. I mean, the you can always take economic realities back to just the resources because money is just an abstraction. Money is just a tally system. It's just a record system for who has who is owed what. In yeah. fact, like the analogy I always use that I know, you know, um, is, uh, you know, if you make a million sandwiches. You make a dollar off every sandwich and yeah. you make a million sandwiches and you feed a million people and you get yeah. a million meals and you save that one dollar every single time. Yeah. That million dollars is the permanent record supposed to be the yeah. permanent record of what we all owe you because we ate your food. Okay. Because you made meals for us and you yep. didn't eat. You did not eat any of it. So we owe you a million dollars worth of stuff, whether it's food, whether it's a car, whether it's mm -hmm. a house, whatever, because you have put value and um, resources into the economy and we owe it to you back because we used it instead of you. I produced it. You consumed it. I'm owed yes. a debt because I produced and I abstained from consumption. Yes. So when you counterfeit, when you cook the books, when you fuck with the money to get the results you want to get. All you're doing is cheating. You're just cheating the point system. It, it makes the points themselves meaningless. So the people who are working their ass off and actually producing the things that make society run aren't the ones that get to consume. Yeah. Maybe you just print a trillion dollars out of thin air and just give it to a bunch of political cronies. It means they don't contribute to shit and they get to eat everything. They get to eat all the food. They get to have all the houses. And it takes a lot of fucking time to make food and build houses. And we are the ones trading our valuable time and resources and abstaining from eating that extra meal, abstaining from buying the house that we want because we buy that we buy the house that makes more sense to, for us practically, abstaining from going on that vacation and living living in luxury so that we can actually produce. And they're consuming all of our resources and the prices keep going up. The, the, you know, going back to the idea of taking not being able to break out of your mental model. Um, uh, is that is the idea that like, well, how the reason sound money can't work when like prices are falling or whatnot. And because debt is super expensive is that like, well, how would everybody, how would anybody ever afford a house? And what they're doing is they're applying the fact that houses are so impossibly unaffordable and so endlessly more expensive 
which is a direct consequence of the fiat system onto a sound money system. They're saying this is the reality when really it's the result. And without recognizing that the result is totally different under a sound money system. Sound money is before price, not after price. Yeah. So what they're trying to say is that like, well, how can you afford it if you can't go into massive amounts of debt? Well, the house would be affordable. Houses are liabilities. They're not assets. They don't go up in value. A 20-year-old house is not as nice as a brand new house, period. It's like a car. It's like a car. It should degrade in price like a car unless you keep up with maintenance, unless you repair the you know rotten piece of siding. Like It takes a lot of money to sustain a house. The problem is, is it's really, really slow and difficult to build a house. So you can issue debt faster than you can build houses. That, that is why the price of houses go up. That's it. Otherwise, they would all fall. And you would only buy a house if you actually needed it. You wanted to live in a house. It is not a savings account. We treat it like one, but that's just because money sucks ass. Just because yeah. money sucks. Yeah, because no reason. the cost of everything that's... Putting it in wood that rots yeah. and making it into a box is more valuable than... Because the money doesn't do its one job. Its yeah. one job is to be a record of shit that has happened and value that is owed. And it doesn't do that. It has nothing to do with it. It's all politics. No, and the further we've strayed from hard money, the more that's become the case. It just the quality of shit people are willing to accept in a fiat system is insane. When I was a little kid, I used to do work for my grandfather in the garden. He had this wheelbarrow. It was made out of metal. It had oak handles. It had a metal freaking wheel. The thing was older than shit. It was probably from the 20s, and it was still working in the early 90s. I don't know what happened to it. My dad probably let it rust to shit or something since then. Yeah. But if you buy it, cause I've done it. If you go out and buy the best mm. wheelbarrow, you can the best one you can afford money being no object, unless you're like having somebody fabricate it for you, it will give yeah, you, you go to a machine shop. Yeah. It, it'll get, but if you go to home Depot Lowe's and you go all the way to the right and buy the most expensive freaking wheelbarrow, they offer double wheels, reinforcements, two years. It's shit. It's complete yep. garbage in two years, and it's two hundred bucks. Yeah, I bet you my grandfather probably got that from somebody, but whoever bought it probably paid two dollars for it, right? Yeah. I mean, and and yeah. that like I talk about this all the time. Like when I was in uh, corporate sales, I used to manage the Northeastern United States, and I would I had to go to Manhattan about once a month, and I would walk around and I'd look at these churches in these buildings that were carved out of like marble. Some dude on a scaffold got up on the side of this church in the 1800s with a chisel and worked on his one piece. And there were 50 dudes on scat that were all freaking amazing artists that carved this church out of marble, the facade on the church out of marble. Holy you crap. can't build that today. You cannot yeah. build that. And that building is now two, almost 200 years old. And it's as gorgeous as the day it was built. Nothing's fallen apart in it. You know, and of course, it requires upkeep and all. But, I mean, you, you can't tell me that these glass steel buildings they're putting together are going to be here in 200 years. You, you, yeah, you, no. no, they're going to have to be demolished. No, they're like even my like I have if you see the basement or whatever, you probably can't you probably can't tell. But you see like the soldier beams or whatever. Like yeah. I've reinforced this because I dug out another uh, kind of like two feet down here in the basement. Yeah. Um, so that I had eight and a half ish head height. Yeah. And I replaced the the wooden beams 
with steel and steel posts to open up a lot more area because they were like concrete block. But upstairs, it is all like cheap, the cheapest stick built that you can, mm-hmm. you can do. Not only are the floors two by eights, which they sh- honestly should be two by tens minimum. So it's creaky as hell, but the floor sheathing is OSB. OSB, which we used to put on the outside of houses. Yeah. The outside of the house is a combo, basically high density cardboard and house wrap. Yeah. It's just like if, if yeah. the house is ever on fire, I told everybody who lives with me and like, you know, they don't go into the attic and like see all the stuff. But I've told anybody like if the house is ever on fire and you're in a room that doesn't have uh, a window or something, just go straight to the wall. Just like, just keep like punching the sheetrock until you're between studs. Just go straight to the wall. It's really easy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And contrast that to like the house my grandfather had, right? So mm-hmm. that house was built in 1890s. There's another building that's like a shanty shed type thing now, but at the, when that, when the property was settled, it was the first house. It was like a one yeah. room house with an attic and a basement, right? And so we don't even know when that was built, but it was sometime significantly prior to 1890. The cellar in there is where we kept all our canned goods and stuff. It's also where we butchered deer. So mm-hmm. one day we go out and we had nails put in the beams, these oak beams that were like huge beams. We had nails to hang two deer at one time. Well, me, the uncle, and, and my dad all got a deer, so we had three deer. So my grandfather's like, we go down there and put a couple more nails in the beams. And I had like those big, like the nails you can pound into concrete, the ones that look like a Yeah, pen, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm down there beating the shit out of this and I'm not incompetent with a hammer at this age. And I I ended up going upstairs getting one of the old school like drills that they used in the mines. <laughs> I had a pilot drill oak to get two nails into the freaking oak that was over a hundred years old at that point, because that would have been the nineteen eighties. That's, That's crazy. where we used to build a, a poor <clears throat> family shed house out of. We used now we don't have oak like that anymore. Not highly mm-hmm. available anyway. But we could do better than cheap ass southern pine on a plantation. Yeah. Like it yeah. is twenty twenty three. We could have far more advanced building technology today than we did in the eighteen hundreds, but we don't because there's no incentive to do so because the the the, the Cantillion effect, right? I'm, I'm the closer I am to the faucet, the quicker I can push money through and realize a profit on doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. And the less I do, the more I make. Why do you think the, the, the people that make the most money are tech companies? Because they actually do the least. Yeah. They don't yeah. produce anything. They have the least overhead. Um, you know, it's – and again, it's one of those things where people don't – it's so funny. Have you ever read the book Strong Towns? No, but I had the dude that wrote it on the show. So I know, uh, know yes. the concept, okay. right? Yeah. So the – the idea it's so funny because he doesn't really explicitly say this in the book, but everything he's detailing is the consequence of the, the uh, toxic arrangement that we have with finance, the, the misallocation that finance enables when you don't have real prices. Um, and that it has actually fundamentally changed how our cities grow and develop. Like it's it's completely reversed something yeah. that has always been the only sustainable way to have a city. And we just think that like, oh, well, now it's normal, but it's an anomaly. Like last 100 years, 120 years, you, you just you never developed things the way that we developed things. And it is specifically because of financing. Like you think about it. For 
the the really sad reality is that practically nothing we have built in this huge modern system and this new technology and all of this none, none of it would survive 100 years like it all will just rot rust and collapse like nothing is built with enough quality to stand on its own and we have specifically like the the strong town thing that he talks about is that like neighborhoods aren't even profitable for their infrastructure they can't even pay for their infrastructure because they're not built like the the building of a community was always incremental you know you think about how much cheaper it is to go to an inner city thing something that is already built and just slap a new coat of paint on it to get the weeds out of the sidewalk and do some, you know, fill in some potholes. And yet somehow we don't do that. The, the, that is the side of the, the cheap way to actually build a capital stock, like value that is static and that we have earned and we don't have to replace. That is not as valuable. That, that is no longer the incentivized means to do, or we're no longer financially incentivized to do that. Instead, we are incentivized to build a huge sprawling way outside at the edge of the city suburb that is a development that's just done mm -hmm. as soon as it's built. There's no yeah. evolution, there's no iteration, there's no change, there's no building and growing of the capital stock. It's just how do we use this flow as fast as possible? And so you look at like a 500-year-old city, a 1,000-year-old city, something that's been around for a long time. Everything in the center is wealthy. Everything at the edge is poor. Like, And it grows outward. The capital stock, like the things that are sustainable and build out piece by piece, um, evolve over time and get better and more valuable. And that's why you have these huge city, uh, like like town halls and palaces and all of these things, because the, the capital stock, the, the wealth that was built up, and was built was so sustainable and was so lasting that you actually had the ability to spend the resources, spend saved resources on making this thing beautiful because you've already built it to last. Yeah, that is it was the result of wealth, not yeah. the cause of wealth. It was the and result. we've completely reversed all of this stuff. And because of that, the center of cities all across the modern world are shitholes. <laughs> like all, there's no capital stock in any of it. It just degrades in 10 or 15 years. We're getting 30 year loans on all of these buildings and infrastructure to, to build this stuff out. And in 15 years, it's worth shit because it all degrades. It degrades faster than we can even pay it off because it was never sustainable. It wasn't, it wasn't a real price. So what happens is that development becomes this top down. Oh, we're just going to prescribe how society is going to build and what the roads are going to do. And the rich people just move into the new neighborhoods. And then as soon as it starts to degrade, they move out, they, they build a new development in a new suburb before it is ever even paid off before it even pays, before it even pays for the infrastructure that it took to build it. Yeah. The infrastructure needs to be repaired and we're still paying off the mortgage. And they sell at the right time before it goes into full decline because uh, Chuck Marone, I think is his name, uh, that wrote yeah. that book and he's part of that. That was the guy I was on. And the thing that he said on that interview that lasted with me the longest now is he talked about how, let's look at a suburb. So we build a suburb, first of all, because of regulations, we have to build this giant cul-de-sac at the end of every road. And mm -hmm. 
that is a because because a fire truck has to be able to turn around or some shit. And there's a massive investment in all this infrastructure, like you said. But the other side of this is since it's all production housing, OSB, two by fours, cheap shit, like you said, everything in the house has a life expectancy. The roof, depending on where you live, is going to be 15 to 20 years, siding, et cetera. All it has a life expectancy. Since we built all the houses within, let's say, a subdivision will come up over a year or two. Mm-hmm. All of the houses start to go to shit at the exact same, same time. time. All the infrastructure starts to go to shit at the exact same time. Now, in the yeah. old days, your house needed something. You couldn't afford it. You rented a room, right? Or you put up mm-hmm. a little place and you like did an Airbnb thing back in the day. It wasn't called Airbnb. And yeah. you got some money in by going to multi-tenant housing, use the money to repair the house. Well, now you have everybody's house going to shit. And they don't want too many cars or whatever. So they have all these restrictions. And the ability to do that is highly restricted in a lot of like these developments. You can't bring in a tenant, et cetera. So there's no money to do that. The prop, the, your house is in decay and the state says it's worth more money and taxes you on it for infrastructure that they do not fix. And like you said, that all stems from this idea that the person that initially bought the house is long gone 10 years ago. Long gone mm-hmm. out the door. Somebody bought it as a starter home, but they got the trap. They can't get out the door. They're not upwardly mobile enough. And eventually they do crawl out and the quality of that neighborhood just goes to shit. And it's um, it's like when, I don't know if you've ever grown comfrey, but you grow comfrey, you get this big clump of comfrey and people think it's going to take over everything. And what ends up happening is the next season as the rhizomes move out, unless you're doing some things to keep it growing everywhere, it starts to make like a ring. And it expands okay. outward, and the center begins to to success in other plants, right? Now, you can prevent that from happening, but if you don't do those things, you'll end up with this ring effect. Like, I'm a pioneer. I've done my job here. I'm moving somewhere else. So that's productive in a natural ecosystem, but it's parasitic in a fiat system. We'll build this development, and then we'll migrate away from it, and it'll decay, and we don't care because it's not mine anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 so funny that you can like like I always find like nature is such a fascinating way to look because we separate our environment from nature as if these things are at odds. Yeah. And what's funny is it's actually the top down systems that are at odds with nature. Mm -hmm. But humanity is a natural environment. Like like if the incentives are actually in place, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build networks like like. As a society, what we're trying to figure out how to do is build networks that keep the individual incentives intact at a grander scale. Because what we essentially have is our social arrangements don't scale. You know, you go back to Dunbar's number. If you've got more than 150 people, you have no idea how to make sense of the relationships between everybody because it grows exponentially, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so how do you create these these uh, social scalability networks so that I can operate with you. I can, I can make an exchange. Like, think about what you're doing when you're going to a store and trading with someone. You have no idea who it is. You don't know who stocked those shelves. You don't know who owns the business. You know nothing about it, but you have a way to trustlessly make a business relationship with them to make mm-hmm. them to cooperate, to provide something in the world. Like that's, really mind-bogglingly insane that that we can actually pull that off and it is specifically because of like a handful of these social scalability networks but these 
these are natural things. And when we start to force this top down control onto it, rather than letting the natural incentives play themselves out, what we're just playing God, we're just it's, it's you might as well try to design a forest. You might as well try to design a forest. You're going to fuck up. It's not going to work. Um, in fact, the, there was actually a big germ. It was, it was funny. There's a uh, what book was I reading recently? Um, oh, crap. I think this is actually an excerpt from small strong towns. Okay. I don't know. One of the books I was reading recently um, uh, was talking about like government actually tried to design a forest. Uh, okay. I think it was the German government, um, if I'm not mistaken. And it's hilarious because it has all of the predict- predictable results and so many of the failures. I mean, it was just an utter disaster. And I think it got wiped through with like one bug or like one disease or something like that because of how they, they, they tried to, they had to have tried to have a planned, a designed variety of plants and shit. Yeah. It was so stupid. Um, but it failed in all the predictable ways. And it's so funny because you just look at our cities, you look at our financing situation. It's the same, it's the same stupid mentality. It's just narcissism thinking that we can play God when all we can do is personify these giant complex systems. And then we think it's like one person. We, we treat it like one person. This one group thinks all these things um, and they all behave and are going to make the same decisions this way. And it's just not it's not even close to reality. It's like trying to understand what a forest looks like and all of the intricacies of the system by looking at a map. And there's like a green blob on the map. And thinking that because you see the green blob, well, now you know what a forest is. Like, you yeah. know, all the complexities. I can plan that because look at it. It's just it's just this right here. It's more information just in the reality of its existence than any human could ever understand. When we're talking about one static second of the amount of dynamics and relationships and complexities in something like a forest, the human environment is that much more because you have motivations, you have values, you have religions, you have histories, you have perception. It's so fucking complex and multifaceted at so many different layers. It's absolute sheer narcissism that we think we can design it. The best we can do is make simple, fundamental blocks of how we relate to each other on an individual level and let it guide the growing complexity of society. The only way to make it sustainable, because we are too stupid. We are monkeys. We are just monkeys who figured out how to bang some sticks together, and we just think we're geniuses because it just it's just incre- it, it it just really is unfathomable when you try to have like some legitimate picture when you try to see just how complex it is. A really great piece, really really great piece actually on this one. Um, kind of a short novel actually. The use of knowledge in society by uh, is it Hayek? Yes, it's it's F. A. Hayek. Um, on just the kind of impossible complexity of the market and society um, and how it is that we're trying to manipulate something that is the only indication of kind of the broad results of it. You know, it's like trying to, it's, it's like thinking that you can manipulate how fun a football game was by changing the score after it happens. That's what we are doing with money and finance and politics right now is we're just playing with a scoreboard and thinking that we've, fundamentally increase the quality of the football game of, you know, how strong or how competent the football players are when really what we've done is we've just undermined the game entirely. We've mm. just made the game pointless to watch. And that's why we have this nihilism. Everybody thinks nothing matters. Well, it, it fucking doesn't. It doesn't in the fiat economy. <laughs>
<laughs> it really doesn't. And it leads to a lot of nonsensical thinking. How many times have you heard this one? Just going a little bit political. We're going to hold them accountable. Don't you just like, like that's the face you make. And then you kind of laugh because you have to, because like, yeah. when have you ever held them accountable? But it's going to be different this time, man. I'm going to vote harder. Like you're nah, not going to hold anybody accountable. There's not going to be any justice. You're not. The, the only justice is going to be us creating our own world. That's the that's the only hope you have. You're not going to fix it. You're not going to hold anybody accountable. You can write all the letters you want. It's all bullshit. It's yeah. all already predestined. It's already controlled. It's a system that was designed. People think the system's broken. It works exactly the way it's supposed to for the people that set it up. Yeah. And until yeah. you understand that, you, you you'll never understand why you can't change it. If I had a system that worked perfectly for me and I was a psychopath and I didn't give a flying shit about Guy Swan, why would I care that that system doesn't work for him? I only care just enough so that he doesn't kill me with a pitchfork. I, yeah. I need to make it work for him just enough. And I need to set up redundancies in the system. So if he picks up a pitchfork, I can make him go after one of the torch people. That's all I got to do. And I can have my shitty system forever. It's not sustainable. Bullshit. Look how long it's sustained. It's incredibly yeah. sustainable. Sooner or later it has to crash. All of them do. But they already know that. The plan is we'll put a new one in, probably something with CBDCs, right? Like, yeah. this is a 100-year-old plus plan at this point. They know that it's time to reboot. Yeah. They fully well know it's time to reboot. Yeah, yeah it's no mystery. So anyway, Carl asks, uh, what's the top five books about money, government, Bitcoin? Um, I got to say, uh, that's the most difficult question to ask me uh, imaginable because – at any one time, I'm probably interested in one versus the other. However, I am a really big fan of the thesis of, I mean, there's plenty of things. Like I, I have loved a ton of books where I don't even agree with everything in the book. Yeah. But I love the, the way, the perspective. Yeah. And one of the things about the sovereign individual is the, the flat explanation or analysis of violence as an economic. Uh, mm. as an economic system, the returns to scale on violence. And I think it is such a profound way to think about fiat, too, is that the reason the reason Bitcoin is is a cataclysmic shift in the foundation of how society works. Is because right now in a fiat world where money is a tool of authority. Or money only exists by authority. Power begets money. Now, money always begets some degree of power, mm -hmm. right? And if I have a million dollars, even if all I did was make sandwiches, if I have a million dollars, I can influence things at a million dollars, like like whatever those resources are. Sure. Now, it doesn't mean I get exactly what I want or like everybody just goes along with me. Yeah. But money is the exertion of our control or our influence over the world. Yeah. Um, and that's actually why the economy and sound money actually works is because it's literally all of the individuals are doing the calculate calculations. All the individuals are extrapolating or, or uh, uh, putting their values into the economy. You know, when I'm when I decide to buy my kid braces instead of go on vacation, I'm actually moving the economy in a micro way. But I'm doing it ex insanely close to home yeah. at what is valuable to me. When you do that with a billion people, you the, the interaction between those is, in, again, going back to the infinite complexity, 
is that the the result is an is something that's genuinely impossible to compute. It's like trying to look at a couple of molecules in the air and then computing where everything is going to be after the wind blows for a little bit. Like it's just stupid. You know, the, yeah. the, the complexity is too great. But uh, going back to the uh, the scaling, the economies of scale. Right now, with fiat money, power, political power, begets unlimited money. Yep. Yep. So there is essentially no cost too great in terms of violent control in order to get more political power because at the end of it, you have an infinite check. So you have to use a blank check. And you can see that in degrees. So think about the Congress. Most people that go into Congress, when they enter Congress, are really not worth that much money yet. Right? Yeah. But six years later, they're multimillionaires. They, it pays about 180 grand a year. Show me another profession where people make 180 grand a year and the majority are multimillionaires. It's not bad pay, but the majority are multimillionaires after six years on the job. There isn't one. Yep. I've no. checked. I can't find it. You know, there's no return. There's no return like lobbying, like yeah. just being near the counterfeit class. Yeah. Is like it's like a thousand to one for a dollar spent on lobbying or whatever, like the yeah. average return to just like yeah. government contracts and all this stuff. And it's just more political power. So. What what you have is the situation where violence is incredibly economical as long as you succeed, mm-hmm. as long as you take over or you you get closer to the money spigot because it just means that you have an unlimited command of everybody's resources because because you don't have to produce anything and you can consume infinite. You can just consume everything. And if you have um, a monopoly on violence, then failure is success. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. If you have the monopoly, monopoly you cannot fail. Even, even cannot failure fail. is a success. In fact, failure actually amplifies, particularly if you have an ignorant population that doesn't understand the complexity of the system itself. It actually amplifies the idea that we need you. You know, like the more violent society is, that is the health of the state. You know, when we are at when we're screaming at each other about stupid issues <laughs> and we're certain that our neighbor is our enemy that society is breaking down. That's all the more reason to need a violent hierarchy to keep everything in place. It looks like everything's going to be chaos without them when they are actually the reason that trust is breaking down because they benefit. They become more powerful the more we hate each other. Yep. Um, yep. And what Bitcoin does is it just removes that connection between power and money. You could still have a lot of money and have influence, but having more influence doesn't mean you get more money hmm. having more power having political power doesn't you bitcoin doesn't give a shit bitcoin doesn't know if you're the president <laughs> doesn't give like you don't get the you don't get more bitcoin like yeah. you still have to go and like violently take it away from somebody and if you fail you don't get shit you don't, you don't get, get anything you don't get anything yeah no, and in no. fact now nobody wants to do business with you. nobody wants to do anything with you no because everything that makes your prestige important that gives you the, the ability to consume those resources, to hire the mercenaries before it, because you can print your own money to hire the mercenaries to commit the violence, to make sure that your printer is still accepted by everyone. You, you, you have to, you have to go at the end. You don't get to spend that money first. You, you have to do the violence first. Yeah. Like it, it's so, and it's a, it's a subtle shift, but it's a negative feedback loop in place of a positive feedback loop. And it doesn't matter if that negative feedback is 1%. The trend goes towards the whole thing simply is unsustainable. Um, that's why I, d- I don't think 
uh, like I think we'll, we'll, we will see in the next 20 to 30 years, probably, I think the timeline is actually that close, is uh, we will see the same transition that occurred during the, the Renaissance, where church, where the church and religious power went from a almighty, unquestioned political and violent authority mm-hmm. to just being the church. It's still powerful. Yeah. All the traditions are still there. A lot yeah. of people still believe in it, yeah. but it is still at the end of the day, just the church. And you're free to believe in it and participate it if you wish to. But I think I that's the future of the state. Yeah. But I will not be there with you. You can put yeah. your money in the collection plate and that's fine. And you can pay for a stained glass window with uh, Anthony Fauci on it. Right. But yeah. I'm not I'm not participating in this. I think it's one of the biggest things we do like we talk about voting. The most powerful vote you have is remove your wealth from the fiat system. Yeah. And that's why they hate Bitcoin, because either they're doing it and hiding it or they just can't accept reality. Yet. The, the smartest thing any government or central bank could be doing right now is printing fiat at will and stacking Bitcoin. That is the smartest thing they could do for themselves. But. It's an acknowledgement of reality that I don't think they want. And I, I'm not sure nobody's doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it's not happening somewhere, though you would think on that volume Probably is. it would pop up somewhere unless it's pieces, parts. You know, I don't know. But I, I think the day that publicly it's acknowledged that any member of like the G20 is doing it, everybody mm-hmm. does it. Like yeah. everybody does it. I Because it's just a hedge. Because it doesn't, like you just said, basically doesn't cost them anything. They could print $100 billion and stack $100 billion worth of Bitcoin tomorrow at no real cost to them. Yeah. And they're not doing it. The only state I know that's actually doing it on some really small level is it's not even a state. It's like there's cities in Texas that mm-hmm. are actually mining and putting Bitcoin into the city treasury. You know, of course, El yeah. Salvador is doing what it's done. Um, some other small country just came out that they've been mining Bitcoin for a long time. It's a small, it's like Moldova, but it's not Moldova. It's something small, in, insignificant in the mining. No, I know what you're talking about, I think. Um, I don't know who it is, but somebody's been doing it. And they said, we've always been doing it or something like that. Like, we've been doing it a long time. Yeah, it's, it's like the, they started in like 2014 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, by the way, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Real quick, I do have a question here for you, Guy, as well-read as you are. I thought this is a good one, and we can wrap up because I've kept you almost two hours. Carl mm-hmm. says, Guy, what are your top five books for learning about money, government, Bitcoin, et cetera? All the yeah, ones you read, right? All the ones that are narrated <laughs> by Guy's one. <laughs> yeah, I got like 14 or 15 of those. Um, I'm finishing up Bitcoin is Venice right now, and it is – it's such a good one. Um, it's – it's long and a bit dense, but it's so good. It really is phenomenal. Um, layered money is great on the Bitcoin front. Jesus, all, all of the ones that I've done audiobooks for, like I don't, I don't do audio. I'm very selective about what I do. I want to make sure that I'm doing a good book. And I really, I genuinely do love all of them. That's why I did the audiobook. Um, but as far as like kind of government and money, Oof, there's so many. Um, uh, again, uh, sovereign individual. I think just the idea, laying out the thesis of the economies, the economics of violence, I think is a really good one. And to understand societal shifts as technology changing the economics of violence 
rather than seeing it through who was the king and what war was what. Like, look at the trend that caused the king to change. Look at the trend and the technological shift that caused the war to happen, I think, is a far more um, uh, far more complete picture of the world and, and makes far more sense as to what society actually happens. You're not looking at it on the surface. You're looking at the foundation. So you can see these shifts happen before the Renaissance, before this huge shift in feudalism and all of these things. Um, but uh, there's also uh, just because this is such a fun one. And uh, I really like the not so wild, wild west um, because it paints a different picture um, of what what society without government is actually like, because we kind of have these dime these dime novels, I, dime novel ideas is basically comic book idea of what the West was, because, you know, they go West, they go on this big adventure and then they come back and be like, oh, there were guns everywhere and people just yeah. in, in the bar like that's a fun way to you, you write comic books. Yeah. Um, but uh, so our dime novels are our idea of what it is. But this is just like a sober look of what actually happened. And it's uh. insanely peaceful. Like it has all the recipes of what you would think of as anarchy, yeah. just like total chaos. And they set up their own common law systems. Um, all of these people who didn't even speak the same languages, they're from different continents, so they don't even have the same values. Uh. They work out all sorts of stuff and everybody has guns. So you think that everybody's going to be shooting everybody. No, there are fewer bank robberies in the whole of the period referred to as the wild west than there are in a year in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and yeah. the re- that's why they were famous because they happened so infrequently. infrequently. Like the one or two people who robbed a bank were like big deals. It's like, yeah. rob a bank. That yeah. never happens. Um, yeah. And well, somebody so, robs a bank in Chicago. It doesn't even make the newspaper. Oh, right. I mean, why, why waste the space? You got, yeah. you have to dedicate a whole two pages. Just go, just do the sports scores. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, you made but, me think uh, when you said everybody had a gun and everybody's peaceful. It, I, it, how much time you spent at ranges, but I've never seen anybody be rude to anybody at a gun range. Everybody's polite. Yeah. And yeah. everybody kind of like some ranges are really tightly. I've never heard of a mass shooting at a gun range. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, no. Though so I did see at a concealed carry class, a dude picked the wrong place to try to rob and got shot by literally everybody. I so saw you talking about that video where like eight yeah. people in the class they went out in the parking lot and like every the cops Amazing. everybody it seemed like Amazing. it almost looked like it was part of the exercise for the class but <laughs> um you know like hey, we're gonna get robbed today uh but you know everybody's polite at a gun range and some have like range officers and they're really strict and all but if you like when I used to live in Pennsylvania all the uh, mm-hmm. state game lands would have a rifle range. And there's no range mm-hmm. officer. Any, and everybody self-organizes. Hey, I need to go down and change targets. Everybody opens the breach. Everybody knows what to do. Everybody does it. Everybody's polite with each other. You know, and I even watched the guy shoot one of his thumbs off at one of those. But he was polite oh. to everybody else. He, they were a bunch of young kids, and they were doing gangster bullshit. And he was, like, firing two pistols. And I guess the recoil of one, one of them recoiled. from the other. And he, he, just, he just tipped it. It wasn't a serious. But it was, like, it needed it needed a and his yeah. boys were like, oh, man, we don't need to go to the hospital yet. You'll be all right. I, like, I got shot. No, no, you mm-hmm. shot yourself. I'm like, you know, we're leaving. I don't want to be around these guys. So <laughs> occasionally some crazy shit happens. But it was that was the one story I have like that in decades of using those yeah. ranges and everybody being polite and everybody following the rules because you took it seriously because you had to because there wasn't you know, there was yeah. I bet there, you was, shoot your thumb off on <laughs> there were no Karens. In the Wild West, right? Yeah. There was no, 
I need to talk to them. Like, none of that shit. Like, you just worked your shit out. Give me your manager. Yeah, exactly. I want to see the manager of this place. Um, yeah. Anyway, man, I really appreciate you being with us because you were on the show before. I think I had all your links. So I've got your Twitter, Bitcoin Audible's Twitter, Bitcoin Audible, uh, GuySwan.com. If there's anything else you want me to add, let me know. I'll get that added to the audio notes before that goes out this afternoon. From a, the announcer pub key. I got your Nuster pub key in the show yeah. notes. Got your Nuster pub key in the video notes right there. And for those that are listening to this later after the live feed, if you're on Fountain or a Podcasting 2.0 app, I'm going to give Guy a split on the uh, streams and on the uh, boost yeah. and stuff like that. Because I just think that's the kind of thing that you do. And that's part of what we're talking about today, that flexibility to allow that. That's instant. so cool. It's it, so it, neat. It it's really so is. easy, too. Like, it's, I'm yeah. Guy, 25% of all the revenue comes in from this show in perpetuity. And yeah, uh, so if you want to take care of Guy on this one, if you if you zap us, you'll be doing that too. Guy, thank you for being with us today. If there's anything I can ever do for you, let me know, and you will always be welcome. Dude, always, man. Here. Yeah, man. Dude, I appreciate it. It's always good hanging out. Good catching up, man. Great discussion, as always. I want to remind you guys here at the end, if you like the show and the work that we do, there's a couple ways you can support us. There's a simple, easy, painless way, and that's just begin your online shopping starting where? tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go there whenever you're going to buy something online. Just begin your shopping there. You'll help us out no matter what it is that you eventually buy. But you also can find our items of the day. And if you see something on T-SPAZ, I own it, I bought it, I'd spend my money on it again, or I wouldn't ask you to. You'll also find everything I've ever reviewed. You'll see a listing of categories alphabetical, so you can find the stuff you're looking for. Click on that, and you can scroll through and find items that I recommend. But you don't have to buy even anything I recommend. Just start your shopping there, and you'll help us out. Really easy, painless way to help the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. Our item of the day is the Instant AccuSlim Sous Vide Precision Cooker. Sous Vide is an amazing way to cook. Uh, I love sous vide cooking. It is a multifaceted tool that does a lot of other things that I have in the write-up today. Like, did you know you can use a sous vide to make cheese or make yogurt or egg bites or even make the perfect soft-boiled egg? You can also use it to make creme brulee. You can prep your steaks in advance. You can defrost items you're not even going to sous vide in record time. And there's a ton of other things you can do. I hate unitaskers. When I first found out about sous vide, I'm like, well, maybe I'll try one, but surely it does one thing. It makes a great steak. It makes the best steak you'll ever eat, in my opinion. But it does a lot of other really great things, too. It just so happened, this is the one that's made by the same people that make the Instapot. So you know it's high quality. And it came across today with a, uh, a price cut. So they're on sale today. They're normally $100. bucks. they are knocked down to $78. Bucks. Uh, I've been using this one since uh, my older one kind of had a problem that I was able to fix with a little redneck hack. But I still needed a new one I could rely on. I got this one. I've been extremely happy with it. It's dead simple to use. Stick it in the pot. Set the time. Set the temperature. Hit start and go. That's all there is to it. If you start using sous vide, you'll wonder why you didn't do it sooner. I know it sounds like some foofy, foofy, chefy thing, and it can be, but it's dead simple, easy, and it's the kind of thing, there's no way to really screw it up as long as you do the very basics. So check it out. Get yourself one today if you haven't already. And at this price, if you're the person and you have the other person in your family and you're like, you like your meat like medium or medium rare and they like theirs like medium well, you should have two immersion circulators because then you can put one in each and everybody gets what they want dialed into the perfect temperature. You're not messing around trying to make things work out. Uh, it's just really a cool way to go. And at 78 bucks, hey, 
Two is one, one is none. Go ahead and get that second one. I've been thinking about writing a thing called the Ten Laws of Red Meat, and I think Law 5 will be the man who has a wife who desireth well-done steak needeth two immersion circulators, not one. Anyway, with that, also remind you, you can become a member of the MSB. You do that, you get all these great discounts for stuff you're probably going to buy anyway. It easily pays for your membership, so it's painless, just like T-Spaz, right? You become a member, you use the discounts, you get more than your money back. Especially if you use like CBD products or you'd like to drink really good coffee or you know you like really good quality meat delivered to your door. Just those things alone can pay you two or three times your cost of membership back every single year. So it's not just essentially a free product in the end. It's a profitable product. And uh, if you want to support the show, it's the main way we pay our bills around here. With that, I'll wrap up. I will be back tomorrow with an episode of the Survival Podcast that is not a Bitcoin Breakout episode. One of our favorite people, expert council member Nick Ferguson, will be on. He's always a great interview, always a great discussion, so you don't want to miss that one. If you're a Bitcoin person and you found us in the Bitcoin Breakout feed, trust me, there is a lot more to learn about life than just Bitcoin. Self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. Don't those sound like Bitcoin ethics? There's a lot more on that path. That's the four pillars that we talk about, building your life design around at the Survival Podcast. So you guys join us tomorrow, too. With that, I'll sign off. It's been Jack Spirico helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. Show you a better way